G'day, God Seekers. We are going to revel in depravity and talk about this new Hedonites of Slanesh. If I can get it off the table, it's a little bit sticky. Not that type of sticky. Don't get your head out of the gutter. Um, I am joined by the depraved Edgar Hernandez from the East Coast, one of the top Slanesh players on the ITC. And we're going to break this book a little bit down. It's a, a new book. It's hit the shelf, what, about a, two weeks ago, maybe, I think it is. And obviously, as the time of recording, this is pre any FAQs or erratas. So things may change if you're watching this in the future. But today really is very much a first thoughts around how a top performing player is looking at the new faction, the strengths, the weaknesses, the things that they want to get out of the book, and maybe for some considerations for you if you're going to get into Slanesh. But Edgar, g'day, welcome. Introduce yourself. Where are you from? Any clubs you want to give representation to and shout outs? Coach, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on board for the show. Um, we're looking very excited and hyped up for Slanesh. And, you know, it's been a long two years with the previous book and where the first one really brought us. So I'm really excited to come on board and talk about what the new strategies are with this book and also to see where the changes are, what got glow ups and what is kind of almost there, but just not quite there yet. But I'm hailing from Pennsylvania on the East coast of the U S part of the bottom table bullies club. So shout out to them, shout out to the whole team. Um, and just really excited to bring Slanesh back to the table. I've been running them for the last couple of years since the first book, you know, a little bit of other army sprinkled in there, but it's just been Slanesh for me the whole time. And, you know, I'm really excited to bring it folks at events. They look at the army. It's like, I've never played this. So it's like, let's really just dive back into it and find out where we, we need to take this army for the next step. Slanesh is one of my all time favorite aesthetic armies. The like when I think about the chaos gods, uh, Slanesh is number one. Like Slanesh and Zinch are the top tiers for me, but Slanesh is number one. Um, then I look at like you know Corn and Nurgle and things like that. It's the most beautiful army, and I love everything about Slanesh. I'm probably more of a demon as opposed to a mortal. Mm. But I got to ask you before we kind of get into the, the the meat and the potatoes of this book. Have you paid for the sins of the past? Because I don't know when you started, but I remember the very first experience of, of Slanesh properly, or one of the, the sins of the past, is you used to fight first at, like, on a two plus. And the amount of times you'd get like that, you'd summon a free keeper, you'd have two keepers and the lawnmower chariot in my face, turn turn one or turn two, double fighting. Like, there's some mad, ridiculous stuff that was happening at the time. And you got away with it, and then GW mm -hmm. nerfed you to the sun, and you've been paying for those sins ever since. I'll never forget, Edgar, um, when we looked at, like, the – I was looking at, like, a points review. I can't remember, a couple of years ago. And there's Daughters of Cain Bow Snakes at 170. You had mm -hmm. Lumineth Sentinels at 170, and they're all doing, like, mortal wounds for days, ignoring line of sight, double shooting. And then was it Bliss Barb Archers for 170? And I'm like yep. – you're just paying for the sins of the past. There's no way that those three War Scrolls were the same top tier quality. So when you look at this new book, have you paid for the sins of the past? Have we finally gotten over those uh, strike first rubbish? I think this book really takes us finally into our own realm and lets us finally get away from those sins. Uh, Slanesh is breaking a little free from those chains. And I think the power is seeping into the book a little bit. And it's a lot of fun. It gets away from that overpoweredness that we had before and where we 
yeah, had everyone just striking last in melee. Uh, and then on our side, GW didn't really let us get away with it. They made it a little bit more powerful with that Celeste battalion that could just give you double depravity. I think that's what really just really set it over the top and is like, okay, I know you're summoning three extra keepers per game. How about we make it six? Because uh, there were there wasn't any limits to how many things you can summon in a turn back then. So it, it was just absolutely insanity. And we had some fun with it. Um, the shooting meta kind of came in a little bit between there in 2021, 2022. And um, the new book also just kind of let us play with our War Scrolls, but not with an actual book or faction ability. So, you know, we made the best of, of that opportunity. The chariots, they were really, really fun. You could summon two of them as well in the past. But now um, the book really brings that all together, adds a lot of flavor. And what I see a lot of folks talking about is just playing with a lot of that background, you know, very Slanashi style, dipping more into different sins other than Lost in Gluttony. Now we're getting into a little bit of hubris and, and all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And Maybe we get a Lord of Avarice next or, or, or something mounted. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I'm all for like the boob snack coming back. I don't know. I've got it on my shelf. It's going to be a part of, my, part of my armies on parade. But um, I, okay. look, I love the Slanesh book. It's, uh, it, it, it sings to me the way I like to play. And we'll get into the rules in a minute. We'll talk about like temptation diets. We'll talk about like the different things in the book. But before I get into like the things that I really want to get into, mm -hmm. do you like it? Do you like this new book? Do you think, when I say do you like it, do you think it is a net positive? Like, yeah, you lost some things, but you but you probably gained more than you lost. Or do you think Slanesh as a faction has gone backwards and they'll be performing even worse than they were competitively, you know, in the, in the next coming season? So, yeah, uh, just to kind of, look at it from this perspective, when we had those bliss barbs at 170 and the war scrolls had to carry the book, you know, the army had to jump through a lot of hoops, a lot of mind games, a lot of positioning, a lot of overcosted units um, that would cause these hoops to come up that you would have to jump through only to still lose, even though you did everything right, the army just couldn't really handle itself. Um, and you needed a little bit of help from your opponent and the dice to you know, kind of push your head a little bit and win by that one point. Uh, but now the book has a lot of flavor, a lot of opponent interactions where may I offer you this six in this trying time uh, and all this good stuff that just makes it really fun and manipulates the dice a little bit um, to just really have those laughs on your opponent, make, make those decisions, you know, get in their head a little bit. Um, and also kind of get in your head as well with, you know, the rules we'll, we'll get into, but Ultimately, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the blast that I've been having with my opponents, even though some are just getting into Age of Sigmar or just trying to finally dip into chaos, you know, the temptation in real life has finally gotten to them and it's exciting to see. But the book is very fun. The models, you know, having some of the more newer uh, sculpts has just been really nice to build up, paint. Uh, I've already got folks coming to me with conversion ideas and this, oh, this, is, this is beautiful. Uh, let the sin begin is the theme <laughs> with the army, at least with the models, but, you know, keep it, keep it reasonable. Are they still competitive is the question. Cause I've heard mm. you refer to fun a few times and I agree with yeah. you. It's an absolutely fun book, but is it competitive? Is it going to be as bust as, as gets? Do you think that it's still going to be competitive, but it's not an easy victory or are you just in the bin? 
I believe it's competitive. It's not going to be an easy victory in my in my opinion. The army used to just be a glass without the cannon. Now we have a cannon um, and can really make use of the abilities in in the army to kind of reduce the glass a little bit. But um, I believe this army is competitive, not to the gets level. They deserve to be where they're at right now for a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll give you that. But Slanesh, you know, we had our fun in the sun a little bit in the past. You know, I had to pay for it, but now are brought back in line where we should be very easily achieving three twos, four ones at events. And then some matchups uh, at the moment, just seeing metal watches and, you know, what's being covered as the top armies give the army a bit of a challenge uh, in, in those top tables. But we definitely have the tools to pull through and, and make it happen. Do you think uh, you, you mentioned the metal watch and the balancing, right? Because especially mm -hmm. when you look at a chaos army, they're always split between two factions. You've got the mortal side and you've got the demon side. And I was just talking to Korn last week and, you know, I think, and we both agree that the demon side is probably a bit more stronger and competitive than the mortal side. Um, do you think the same is true? Like, do you see demons and mortals differently? Do you see them at the same kind of power level? Do you see the mixing? So actually you you have more of a robust army than just a split mortal and a split demon. Like, how do you see that? All right. So I really see the mortals being a little bit stronger than the demons at this point. The demons got some nice war scrolls and some combinations that, you know, really make you think about how you want to get into the list. And as we continue to explore the book and see some of these glow ups on the table, um, I think the demons will really seep into more lists. Uh, me personally, I saw some ideas for 15 Seekers, and so I tried 15 Seekers today, and it was pretty sweet. Uh, so I think it's really, really powerful with some of the War Scroll combinations we have, but the mortals, um, th the models are just beautiful. It's what attracts a lot of people and what attracted them before with the old book until they found out there wasn't a book. <laughs> and so uh, the models are just fantastic for all sorts of conversion ideas, all sort of uh themed into the sins and you know just overall representing slanesh and so i think people will love those new sculpts piece of chaos players even now having uh their slangor in their army uh you know they they love having some new updated models you know zangor i think were the old book and you know they were kind of nice um but now you get slangor that can maybe deep strike off the edge and try to roll an eight yeah, slang or slap now. Um, I'm going to bring up the rules in a second, but there's one question I want to ask you before we get to that point is, if I'm someone who is brand new to Slanish, maybe I'm at my game store and I'm looking at it at the shelf, or maybe I've just picked up the tone for the first time, how would you describe this as a faction in regards to what is it good at, what isn't it good at? Like, how would you describe its play style just at a very high level? All right, very good. So for anyone interested in Slanesh, you are looking to dive into a very nice updated range of models, um, lots of speed. Um, when looking at the rules in, in general, like the army's strength is its mobility. Um, it now, like I said earlier, has a little bit of cannon and punch, so it can really just go up to an opponent and kind of slap in the face a little bit. Uh, but the main strength here with this army is that there's a lot of layers. Um, there's auras and buffs that we need to take into account. Um, debuffs that apply to our opponent just to make our army a little bit more resilient. Um, so you having some measuring six, having your tape handy at all times, because this army, you want to make sure you stay in, the, in those auras and in those buff ranges. Um, so game accessories, you really can go all in with this army and really settle in. 
Chaos is a little spoiled and Slanesh has a lot of allies as well. So being able to dive into different factions and pull from their good stuff also fits really well with this force. While Hedonites, you know, it's the buffs only tend to affect Hedonites just like with most of the Chaos books being updated. Um, we have a lot of play with our allies and some of our depravity generators actually work really well off of coalition or regular allies. So there's there's play with that. But for anyone looking to dive into the army, it is a a project and a, I don't want to say an errand of love with this army since it's not something you can really blast through really quickly. Um, you really want to take your time with the mortals if you're doing it. Um, the demons, if you're trying to have stuff ready to summon and not to dissuade anybody in any way, but in the past, you know, we had to bring almost two armies to an event just to be able to yeah. summon uh, whatever we needed in the force. We don't need that anymore. Uh, so any of those articles or any news like that in the, from the past, no longer have to worry about. We don't even have to summon anymore, to be honest. And uh, you can still summon. Yeah. So like, yeah. like you, you can still bring on tape, but it's not like your army. Yeah. And there was kind of like one of the big differences between the old book and the new book is the new book was, sorry, the old book was a lot about summoning on extra models than your yep. 2000 points or whatever your army list was. Uh, this definitely still has the summoning mechanics, but it's not necessarily your only tool in your toolkit. Uh, and absolutely. when we bring up the rules in a second, it absolutely will show it. But from what I'm hearing from you, Edgar, is that, you know, you're a melee focused army, but you're not only melee. You've got a bunch of shooting attacks as well. You've got some magic, but you're not the strongest magic. You're not like Zinch. Um, you mm -hmm. don't have any priests. You have a deep roster of things that you can access through your other legions of chaos that we'll literally talk to in a second. But overall, like you got a lot of tools in your toolkit, but speed and like melee is probably well, not even melee. Speed is like your your killer. Like that's that's the big thing. And and I will find out from you how you use it as we go through this episode because. This game is not a combat game. It is not a shooting game. It is primarily a movement game. And the rest of it all plays into it. So we'll show you how Slanesh kind of works there. Absolutely. Especially with being able to play in all phases of the game. The This army just does it. Hero phase. Obviously the movement shenanigans and the speed. Shooting. Uh, very excellent shooting. And then in melee, of course, one of our allegiance abilities requires us to really focus around that. So we'll really get into that. I'm going to start off on the right-hand side. Normally, I would start you know, on the left and we'll talk about Allegiance of Chaos. But I think for us, mm -hmm. I'm going to pause that one for a second. Let's start with the rules and let's start with Temptation Dice. So the way that you now generate depravity. So if you're an old player coming over to the new book, um, it's a little bit different. You used to have to like chip wounds and have for every wound, you gain a bunch of dice and blah, blah, blah. That's no longer there. It was weird. But you've got this new Temptation mechanic and basically every uh battle round you get six dice that you can offer your opponent if they have a failed hit a failed wound or a failed save roll if they accept your temptation dice um they can change that that roll to a six if they uh, decline you uh they will take d3 mortal wounds um if they accept then you generate d6 depravity points to go along with it as well so um there's a little bit of interactivity kind of here. And I guess it sounds like a really fun mechanic, but I want to kind of get to the practicality of it. If you and me are at a, at a table, like as a Slanesh player, what are good times for you to offer temptation dice or even just how do you think about this mechanic at a competitive lens? So I like to make sure my opponent's aware that 
these are only ever going to go off for those hits, wounds, or save rolls that they fail. And as a player that is looking at the most advantageous times to give these, um, resulting in either the D3 mortar wounds or the D6 depravity that can get me to my next bracket or my next buff at um, the different levels, I want to make sure that I am giving it at the best moment. So high damage attacks that could really hurt me or a save roll on something that I really need to get rid of on the table wouldn't be the times that I really want to give this away unless I am close to the next buff and it would be worth it in the short term, long term uh, in that case. But ultimately, an opponent is often very incentivized to just take the damage and keep me away from my buffs. And players that notice that will see, all right, a minus one to hit, the more wounds and the ward saves that can come from this uh, when we get closer to that um, really tend to make the army very tough. So they may just not want to take the the chance of us getting to those buffs later in the game or closer to us summoning something pretty strong to affect the, the board state. They may want to take the damage. But for me, I really like the idea of interacting with my opponent a little bit more. Uh, it does require me kind of stopping the rhythm of dice rolling every now and then when, you know, they're rolling their hits. And it's like, oh, you know, hang on. Uh, I see some misses here. Uh, let's offer you this die here. So, you know, you have this extra decision. But it kind of goes into a little bit of that interaction that's really fun with your opponent, but uh, a bit of at a competitive level also kind of puts these extra thoughts in their mind that, all right, what if I do this? What if I do this? kind of forcing some tough decisions that are ultimately in the favor of the Slanesh player. Um, so an opponent to any Slanesh armies will just need to really stay sharp at, as to what their opponent is trying to do with offering damage on this hero that kind of had a mediocre attack, or if it's just a Maw Crusher or something on one or two wounds left that is trying to get out of combat and clear itself or continue to initiate its smashing and bashing or something and all those two or three mortal wounds could really just finish that, that whole sequence off. Uh, so it's just something very critical to think about. And for me, I am planning to offer my opponent some treats, maybe a, a little bit of a sugar crush or a sugar rush maybe helps. Um, if they don't want it, it's okay. But I think it's just very nice interaction with your opponent at an event, just a little refreshing and could get you best player award. Oh, it's very, it's very <laughs> sweet. When I look at this, right, because you're right, like, okay, so you can offer it to them and it makes sense to offer it at low volume attacks, right? Um, you're up against a terror geist in, in Grizzle Gore. You don't want to be offering it to the more attacks where it can do six mm -hmm. mortal wounds if it does a six. Or you're up against a Mega Gargan, I don't know, a Gatebreaker, and it has, like, damage four or something ridiculous. So avoiding those types of high damage, high rend, um, those opportunities are probably not the best times to do it. But to your point, you know, if they're on one to two wounds left, if they decline it, then the mortal wounds actually might kill them. So they're more likely to accept it. So there's a game within a game. And I think as yeah. someone who is new to the faction, it could be hard to work out when is the right time to do it. And even, you know, a failed hit, a failed wound or a failed save roll, I'm more inclined to do it on the hit as opposed to the wound purely because, yeah, they might get a six to hit, but they could still fail the wound roll. But if I give them the six to wound, then it's going to go into the armor save. So at least when I do it on a hit, there's another failure spot. Um, how do you look at that? Like, 
are there particular times or moments or is there things like give me advice like when are good times practically throughout the game to offer a temptation dice on the failed hit the failed wound or and by the way if, if you've got a unit that's failed like i don't know six attacks you can't offer them all six dice at the same time um it's only one dice in the sequence right for sure um just one year one unit per phase can receive a temptation from sanesh so um in these cases then um the best times to really offer your opponent these dice would be on the hit roll since it necessarily does not convert um and it has that chance of failure as you mentioned but ultimately with the very good shooting that sanesh has uh in its arsenal uh you really tend to offer these as part of a save roll for a shooting attack um usually on something that might be a little important uh, Sharpshooters hasn't really seen a lot of play, but now Slanesh can really become a very useful tool uh, for being able to target those Galician champions in, the GH in this GHB or uh, a unit that your opponent is really potentially putting a lot of importance or trying to lean on that they might need their models for. A screen, maybe, when one of our fast melee units is trying to get up there. Um, the D3 Mortal Wounds, instead of that save is is going to make our opponent think twice. They may want to keep their Gracier, their Scragrot, their other very important piece that is just kind of hiding in the back and not really expecting to get shot at. But when they see those sharpshooters and maybe some of the archers that we have in our arsenal, uh, they may be inclined to take this temptation dice. But as a Sonesh player, um, you want to do it at the, depending on your play style, at the most fun moment, um, or if you're really trying to get a plan and execute it um, into a unit that your opponent is very likely inclined to give you the D6 because it is just so valuable um, as, you know, one of the two primary methods of generating depravity. Yeah, it's obviously hard for us to pinpoint specific moments, people, that this is when you use the depravity dice. It's very much about the sequence and the flow of the game. And, mm -hmm. and you know, there's lots of different things. But I think, you know, just pointing up, for example, targeting attacks to a minor hero because they either can accept it and ge generate depravity, or if they fail, if you're shooting or attacking a five-wound idiot, they can't afford to take D3 mortal wounds because D3 can be three. And just two of those sequences could pop your 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 five wound hero so the risk is definitely a lot higher but if you do it to my battle line troops i can probably take to d3 i don't care in most cases like it's okay and i could go on and use a rally i could go use a whole bunch of things to bring these units back to life so i guess the point i'm trying to make here and, and thank you for following along with me is you've got to think about and you're going to have to like work it out and play around with it to see where exactly do you use depravity to move sorry, your temptation dice to make the most of it? Don't accept that your opponent is going to accept all six of your dice um, each battle round because, yeah, it could be an easy way to generate so much depravity with a D6. But think about what happens if your opponent uh, turns you away six times a battle round. Yeah, that's, that's six D6 worth, sorry, six D3 worth of mm -hmm. mortal wounds. But what does it mean to depravity? And if your battle plan is focused around generating depravity, then you've got to think of other ways to get the depravity if your opponent isn't accepting it. Edgar, what would you say to that? And is there anything you'd add or uh, you know challenge me on? So th this army really wants to generate its depravity to really get those abilities and potentially threaten those summons. Uh, so it, it's really critical that as the player with these die, you try to 
offer it to those really critical units. And you're correct about battle line or other units not really mattering when it comes to these, but if it could potentially really take that battle line unit down because you already shot it with something else and didn't offer it then, your opponent is now inclined to you know probably take it or lose the unit. Um, when it comes to more elite armies, you know, your Stormcast Eternals, potentially you know, Slaves of Darkness, they might be inclined to take it if it's something that doesn't have a ward save. Uh, so those units really can't afford to lose models to this damage, so you're at a bit of an advantage here, especially with you know some of the save stripping that we're going to get into later. But uh, this this army wants to generate its depravity points, and the D6 is very valuable. Your opponent will know this uh, at a level, and if they don't know it, um, we'll find out with a little bit of pain. I, I will say my last comment on the dice is... Um... I mentioned that, you know, it's kind of useless against battle line. And that's probably not quite true because there are situations where it could play a part. You know, you could be contesting an objective and those D3 mortal wounds might remove a couple of models that make it from the opponent holding it to you holding it. It could be the difference between a battle shock test and not losing any models in a battle shock test. So there obviously are situations. And if you're in combat, you obviously can't rally. There's lots of things to come into play, but... I think the point that we've both made is be smart with the opportunities and where you try to use the depravity and really try to make your opponent, your ideal state is getting your opponent to go, damn, I don't want to take the D3 mortal wounds, but I also don't want to give you the D6 depravity. I'm I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place as opposed to, oh, the easy answer is to take the D3 mortal wounds because I have 60 grots I don't care about and I've got regeneration for days. Sure, I'll take the D3 mortal wounds. Yes, absolutely. Um, make them make those decisions. Pick the worst of the two. The D6 is the one that's in, in our favor for sure. Um, and opponents will definitely realize this. And after a couple reps and knowing where your opponents are usually taking these die um, will really make for a better experience with this mechanic and this allegiance ability. You know, we want to get to that 36, 24, 12 thresholds eventually. And we'll show you very soon um, after on the next page what you get for your depravity points because you can summon and mm -hmm. you get different rules. So I'll get to your thoughts in a minute. But you've also got other ways to generate depravity. One example is through Euphoric Killers, where, at the, where once per turn at the start of the combat phase, you can pick a friendly Heed Knights of Slanesh unit uh, and basically... Uh, what is it? It's uh, you gain a depravity point for each wound and mortal wound caused by attacks that um, from that friendly unit into that enemy unit. So you got one one unit in combat within one inch of an enemy unit. You pick those two, and basically uh, you're generating depravity off those attacks. Um, how do you see that? And uh, what do you think about as a good example of something they could use euphoric killers? So yeah, this ability is fantastic, and it's a bit of a callback to our very first book where we could gain depravity off of doing damage to units with more than one wound. So I really like this callback and gives us a lot of control and flexibility of finding a target on, on our opponent's army uh, as a unit to really run up to and try to generate these depravity points from. So fast cavalry and the use of our mobility will really let us pick the fight where we want to extract and farm the most depravity points from. Uh, fast units like Seekers or the Mortal Slick Blades are going to really benefit from this and be the first target. Some heroes as well, you know, the Mask, uh, being able to fly around a little bit uh, could be a really first choice for this. But 
the fast cavalry units will be the very first depravity generators with before killers um and just really making sure that they go into a unit where they can use the most of their abilities um but fast cavalry is the way to go later in the game uh, our heroes our slower infantry can really try to farm off of this ability but this is usually going to be the very first way that we get to the first benefits and really see the flow of that depravity and the sweet abilities from Slanesh that come through. Other units that I think that would really benefit from this would be things like the Keeper of Secrets, or if you take mm -hmm. Shalaxi, although I probably wouldn't do Shalaxi in my opinion, I'd rather just go a Keeper. Um, Sigvold kind of stands out to me as someone who is a good recipient of, of this, especially uh, if you do uh, bring in a Coalition uh, War Shrine, War Altar Shrine, I always confuse the two. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. no, I've, I've, you know, yeah, there's there's war altars and there's war shrines. But like, you know, using things like, as you mentioned, like they are, they're a little bit slower, but they are good recipients throughout the game. Is there any other units that you think that might have like a high volume of attacks or a high amount of opportunity to cause mortal wounds that also, yeah, your cavalry, the keeper, Sigvold, anyone else that could be a good recipient? The very best recipient on that type of elite infantry would probably be your Slangor. And then when you kind of get to the heroes, uh, you try seeing the epitome in some of our in some of our builds. Um, Celesque is surprisingly uh, killy with the amount of damage it can do. They have some really nice output. But they're the ones that you would normally try to target with this ability mid-game, later in the game, to just really push you over the threshold. Um, these high volume of attack units will really get it. And then we start dipping into demonettes, uh, which if you're really trying to get into them, it's just a high volume amount of attacks. And once we get into some of the relics and abilities in these sub-factions, um, there's ways to really juice it to the max. Uh, so it, it's just really good. Uh, ultimately, though, I like the cavalry idea for your first early generators and then the heroes that we're putting around our list, even Glutos. He has a nice amount of attacks and high damage attacks too, um, become fantastic recipients. Everyone in the army can use it. And if you're one unit in your turn that ended up needing to make the charge or some bliss barb archers, let them be the unit to receive this ability and, you know, just score a little bit of depravity. Yeah. I, I was going to call that out. I'm not saying that if you're not, you're not running a keeper, you don't pick that unit, but it, obviously they're good, good things to consider. Uh, as a fallback for euphoric killers but yes take this super situation as it comes up uh, especially think about what's going to cause the most wounds or what's going to cause the most mortal wounds so you probably already know those offensive powers mm -hmm. um but it's a, it, it's an interesting ability it's a cool ability it is a flow throwback to the old way but it's also a way to bring up depravity points even if the temptation dice are not going your way um so good good shout especially because like in the top of turn one it's probably very unlikely you'll be offering many dice um mm -hmm. until at least kind of turn two you might get a couple in turn one but again depends on, on what you're fighting we've referred a little bit to like the the slaves to darkness and you've got the opportunity to, uh, by the way is there anything else you want to add to euphoric killers or temptation dice before we go to the legions of chaos uh no it's 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 looking really good um our our allies unfortunately cannot benefit from this this only has to affect a heat or night of slanesh unit um so even if you try bringing bellacor to try and do it he will not be able to receive this it has to be a heat and Knights of slanesh unit mark of cool. uh yeah mark of slanesh in our allies would not be able to benefit from this 
No, which leads us to the Legions of Chaos. So you can bring in two in every four units in your army can be from Slaves to Darkness, so long as they have the Mark of Chaos keyword. Uh, and then one in every four can be, be uh, Beasts of Chaos, uh, as long as they're not already Zinch or Slanesh marked. So you could bring in a Saigor, you could bring a Gorgon, a Bulgore, you could bring in a bunch of things from Beasts, you could bring in Chaos Warriors, Varangard, mm -hmm. lots of things, but you couldn't, you couldn't coalition Bellacore, for example, or you couldn't uh, coalition the cultists because they don't have the mark of chaos keyword. They're undivided or they're just unmarked. So I guess when you look at these rules, are you going to fill your army up with two in every four, one in every four? Are you uh, finding particular units that you like more than others? And even if you weren't going to take them, like, What's some considerations that I should have for the Legions of Chaos? So it'll definitely fit into the type of strategy you want your list to achieve. Uh, if you really want to lean deep into the control, um, Cygors, Cockatrices, Bellacor from these faction abilities become very fantastic choices to take um, just to add in and pile on more to those control abilities. A lot of folks like to run the Varengard. They're just fantastic war scrolls in of themselves. Um, some hard-hitting cavalrys, Chaos Knights as well. Um, I've been seeing a lot of folks really trying to get their uh, Chaos Chosen uh, into the action and very speedy in their own book, but in our book are just some very nice elite hard hitters. Um, but, you know, they're, they're better in their book, I think. Uh, from the Beast of Chaos side, you know, getting some cheap screens. Uh, you got your Ungor, Ungor Raider, if you want some extra shots. Um I think Gore are an interesting choice for a bit of extra fight last spiciness to, to include in our lists. Um, Chimeras, um, the Chaos Gargant as well, or Chaos Giant. I believe he's the one that has the three-inch range one, to minus one to save. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Minus one to save to anyone nearby. So uh, that's another piece that kind of fits nicely with these other abilities that we have over here. All right, let's... Force our opponent to take a dice or make your four killers just a tad bit better. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of armies will be leaning into some of these allies and you know trying to pick a little bit when it comes to the war cry war bands. Uh, you've got your unmade just to make sure your opponent don't doesn't uh, redeploy away from you and or rallies to replenish. I think that's going to be a really good piece for a lot of armies going forward. And then I believe you have your untamed beasts to try and like really spread out, push any sort of deep striking threats away, um, try to take an objective really early. Um, I believe the Ravens, uh, Corvus. The Corvus Cabal. Yeah, nice little units of deep strike around the table and take over some terrain peas to score a quick desecrate uh, battle tactic. Um, we just have so many choices. And then from Zinch for a little bit of our spell casting, if we want to pile in a little bit more into the minus to saves, change casters okay with that 18-inch range. Uh, if you want to reliably try to cast some endless spells, you've got your blue scribes. Um, and then I don't think I would take any regi regiments of renown from the chaos at all. Uh, they don't they don't really seem really good for what we want to do. But uh, I really like Bellacor in our list and uh, he seems to be doing really well, even in our old book, was a bit of a critical piece and saw a lot of lists being very successful with it. The, uh, I don't know if you want to include the Incarnate in 
allied units. Uh, yeah. We don't count. Well, actually, <laughs> well, before before I quickly I respond to you because I, I do want to clarify mm -hmm. something you've said. Um, while we're on the topic, incarnate yay or nay? Nay in this book. <laughs> Why? Nay. While um, we may get to the War Scrolls and talk about a certain someone, very big someone that may have eaten an incarnate uh, in his previous right. adventures. Okay. Open, uh, I open think open the Christmas present early. Let, yeah. Tell them your secret. <laughs> uh, Gludos is looking really nice uh, in this book. And um, for, unfortunately for the Incarnate, they cost the same amount of points. And I think it is true that Gludos did eat an Incarnate at some point in the, in the last GHB. So uh, I'm very excited for what he's going to bring. But an Incarnate in this army doesn't really play into a lot of the abilities that we have. You know, we have our euphoric killers to generate depravity and as a centerpiece model, it's okay. You can still find success with it as just something that stays on the table, but ultimately it's, it's not something that plays very nicely into our abilities. Um, so it's going to be an A for me. I don't plan on running it. It's mine's just back on the shelf now. <laughs> you obviously just, could. You say. obviously could. It's just that it probably look. It doesn't synergize <laughs> with any of your abilities. Yeah. Um, it's not going to generate you, you know, your depravity points, and like just it's not going to help you really in any fashion. Um, and it is like one fourth of your list if it's two K two K list. So, um, mm. like, do you get better investment internally? I'd probably say the answer is yes. The thing that I want to clarify before we move on is just the, uh, some people might be confused and um, there is coalition and there is allies. So some of the things that Edgar has mentioned is an ally. So something like Bellacore or the cultists would be an ally because they don't have the mark of chaos. So they wouldn't come in as a coalition, but they are allies. And unlike corn, which I don't understand this at all, um, <laughs> you can ally in slaves to darkness as long as they don't have the mark of chaos so um you could bring in your cultists you could bring in bellacore you could bring in something from slaves that didn't have the mark it's just an ally within your ally pool restriction while um i could use a unit of six varangard and use it as a coalition if i mark it as slanish it's a little bit confusing i know some people but um when you sit down and work it all out there is you can basically you've got more flexibility than corn haha <laughs> sucked in yep uh, i feel bad for the corn players uh hopefully that gets fixed it has but, to get yeah, fixed yeah. It has to get fixed. I don't, I don't understand why it looks like that. So we talked a lot about depravity and we actually haven't talked a lot about depravity. Like we talked about generation and why depravity is important and how you do it, but what do you actually get for it? And mm -hmm. there are two things you can possibly do. One, you get the revel in depravity. So as you accumulate points, you unlock three different benefits. So at 12, 24 and 36, there's a bunch of benefits. You either at 12, subtract one from hit rolls when you target uh, Heat Knights of Slanesh. At 24, you generate mortal wounds on a roll of a six in melee, uh, in addition to any other damage you would normally do. And then at 36, you would get a five-up ward for everyone who is Heat Knights of Slanesh keyword. In addition to all of that, you have the ability to summon demons of Slanesh, and it ranges from Keepers of Secrets all the way down to a Demonettes of 10 and some minor heroes and chariots. There's a whole list there that you can check out for yourself. But what I want to ask you is when you think about this accumulation, you've talked about using cavalry to generate them early. We've used euphoric killers to generate some in, in combat. 
are you someone who is generating these to summon demons as quick as possible are you someone who just wants to get to 36 on the revel of depravity as soon as possible is there a combination like how do you look at this and what's the goals and the considerations for me as someone who's now managing um the depravity so i believe now that with these very nice abilities compared to what we had before um reaching the 24 depravity threshold is what really unlocks our canon and our very uh fantastic abilities to prolong combats and be very killy with our units um becomes a very good incentive for anyone trying to rack up these depravity points to hand out those temptation dice and to use your four killers efficiently to race through these uh depravity abilities and make the most of them in our army so a lot is gonna have to go into the consideration for your starting lineup and your starting list uh trying to figure out which units will be trying to get the depravity early in round two round three uh based on your matchups of course but ultimately trying to figure out the plan as to like how you want to position your units when you have your minus one to hit now up and ready how aggressive you want to pick your targets apart once you're up to 24 and then once the party really gets going and you have the five up ward up and you are now playing a nurgle army essentially with very very resilient saves and board saves and being able to hit pretty hard the army just becomes tough as nails uh so we don't really want to have summoning as the main goal uh when we have these fantastic abilities but it's really nice to have in the pocket especially with the choices we have here and we can only summon demons uh the mortals will normally always be in the starting list uh but only demons can ever be called upon uh, to join our party once it really gets going. So ultimately, I one little note I kind of have about these abilities is they don't really seem very slaneshi, but I'll take them as really strong abilities uh, that we start getting as we start keeping the party going, racking up these depravity points, have, making sure our opponents having a great time with temptations, and that the whole flavor of slaneshi just outpours out of the list that we build and bring to the table. So with the minus one to hit, you know, just having our opponents hit a little bit like a wet noodle just becomes, you know, very, very fun uh, for and resilient for our army. Or the, making them spend a command point to get to override yeah. that. And I think that's the, as it gets player with plenty of minuses to hit, that's the thing, right? Like you are either forcing them to spend a command point to be at their baseline profile or you're stopping them from going from a four to a three. Or, you know, or you bring, mm -hmm. you drag, if they don't spend that resource, they go from a four to a five, or obviously, you know, the numbers are the numbers, but, you know, it makes some interesting resource management decisions and you can, it's, it's kind of annoying, especially as the army gets it right. So they can only spend all that attack in one area in one combat phase. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and then some units that hit on fours, they're really going to have a rough day. Um, there's just some units out there that unfortunately have this uh even in our best opponent's book corn a lot of their units still hit on four so it's like ah oh, this is not gonna be very very good for you and then where i like the minus one to hit as well is those fight on death abilities um you know now we have this extra added protection where we don't feel as bad you know getting stuck in those combats uh the minus one to hit really helps us out with targeting those units or, or getting into them fighting the hero phase as well this is just is just always always going to be up 
on all of our heated nitrous finesse units. Um, so we just kind of duck a little bit out of the way, or maybe our units are dancing so much in the field that our opponent's just missing, which I, I like this. Like that one, that one to me is a nice one, but I feel like the 24 is like where I'm striving for. The sooner I can get to the 24, the better. And at least the way I was reading it was that I never want to dip under 24. I feel like if I'm going to summon, it's it's when I hit like the 30 mark, as long as, again, I don't drop from um, more, even more than 30. Like I never want to drip, drop under 24 because I want to trigger those mortals, especially by the time I get to 24, I'm probably in the thick of the battle and I want those mortal wounds in addition to my regular attacks. And it works well with Euphoric Killers um, because that triggers a mortal wound, uh, off mortal wounds and regular wounds. Um, and obviously it just plays so well to, as you mentioned, um, you're a little bit of a glass cannon. You don't take the hit as well as other armies do. So that to me is like where I'm striving for. Um, agree or disagree with that? I really want to agree. And it's a bit of a clarification. Some folks uh, are looking for exploding sixes. And I think this ability, you know, completely replacing that is much better and adds a little bit of accuracy to our hits, especially if later, you know, we're not trying to dip on the 24, but you bring on a unit of demonettes through summon Slaneshi demons. Um, that is now 21 attacks that can trigger a couple of sixes and really. Uh, penetrate deep and really get into the the good the good damage that we want to get into and this really stacks well with the euphoric killer's ability um you know with the mortal wounds that also count towards giving us some depravity when those wounds are allocated uh so this unlocks a certain level of dp generation and lets us overcome some dp check armies out there um especially when we add this to the units that have high volume of attacks so this will really benefit your slick bait seekers, your demonettes, your slangor, uh, even the epitome might have a good time with this. Uh, anything with high potential attacks. If Sigvald is charging in after getting buffed by that Chaos War Shrine, uh, yeah, the uh, the opponent's unit is going to have a bit of a hard time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would tend to agree. Like I would not mm -hmm. summon if I'm around the twenty-four mark or even like twenty-four to thirty, I would not summon like demonettes or a hero and then dip to 12. Um, I, I yeah, want us to, I unless obviously like I'm going to lose an objective or I'm going to lose, if I don't summon, I'm going to lose my battle tactic. Those kind of things would override the deprav the, the revel in depravity. Mm -hmm. But again, it's situational. Um, that's how I see this. Oh, for sure. Um, summoning, it's not a strength anymore. And especially looking at this table, you know, you we can't summon 20 or 30 demons anymore. Uh, we are definitely limited down, down to the 10. And normally, you know, with trying to keep our buffs from the Rebel and Depravity up at all times, most of the units you may consider something would have to come from that 18 uh, Depravity point. So we're not dipping below those 24. Um, doing the Mortal Wounds on sixes is just so good. Um, but sometimes against a Magic Heavy matchup, you may need an Inferno and Rapturous to, you know, help uh, with disrupting some of that magic. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Uh, and she's a Galatian champion. So if you're looking at the vice leader, you know, you, you don't really need her. The Inferno Raptors would just really sit back and sit on the objective and help with a nice battle tactic or anything that you might need. And that leads us yeah. to, right, this current general's handbook is about Galatian champions. Again, if you listen to this like three months from now and mm -hmm. we're, we're in general's handbook 2023, that's not going to matter. 
But just currently where we're at, let's, okay, so we understand the value of the revel and depravity. The ward save is nice, you know, but um, like really 24 is the sweet spot at least. With the summons, if you're going to summon, what are the situations or what are the things that um, you'd like to summon more than others? Is it, am I going for Keepers of Secrets because I want that extra like, you know, combat-y monster hero? Do I want those demonettes? Do I want those champions, as you mentioned, the Vice Leader or the Infernal Raptress or a Bladebringer? Like, what are some good value or good things for you to consider for summoning? So I really like the demonettes uh, as like a nice little unit that has a built-in bonus to charge that can just try to look for an eight uh, on the die when they come on the field and really sneak up on that objective or try to get into a back line. You know, Sonesh, uh armies really like to see an exposed rear, so those demonettes will take the advantage of that the most. Um, in this current general's handbook, uh, you know our Galatian champion units here, being the enraptions of Vice Leader, become excellent picks. In the future, we'll have to see how that plays out. When it comes to the chariots of Sanash for twenty-four, I don't think that's good value. Um, they can't receive, they can't issue a receive, uh, they can't issue commands, I guess. But uh, you'd have to have someone kind of babysitting them, and they could just sit out a little bit. Excellent for blocking movement if you just need something to scream, but that's pretty much it. Demon's going to handle that. It's too many depravity points going into the chariot. Seekers, again, decent screens, but at 24, I just wouldn't go for that. Uh, the epitome becomes a very interesting choice, though, with all the utility that she brings. And if it gets to the War Scrolls, um, it's just an excellent unit. There's no bonuses to charge or anything, so she's going to have to sit out for a round a little bit, but is also a Galatian champion, and in this GHB helps out. The Bladebringer, though, uh, this becomes a very interesting choice um, with bringing some bonus um, spellcasting to the list. And if it's an Exalted, which is probably what you're going to do if you ever consider one of these chariots, um, the Exalted Bladebringer, it's going to really shred into some good armor save units with their mutilating blades abilities and brings additional mortal wounds to the list if that's what you're really looking for. I can usually probably use it against like, a Stormcast matchup or if you have a Kragnos out there the blade bringers are going to be excellent choices for those types of games. And then for fiends, uh, fiends tend to do really well into armies that have high wound counts, but looking at the maps and how the damage stacks up with these guys, you're often not going to really be bringing them or summoning them at all, but they're not the worst choice. If you're trying to get to a certain type of output, similar to what slick blades can bring, but, just 30 points is, 30 points is too many yeah that's that that's why i'm like Ooh, like if it was yeah. more towards the demonette chariot number i'm like yeah, maybe yeah but i feel like i feel like when i look at this and maybe it's just because i'm a i love my monsters and i love my keepers mm -hmm. like if i'm around the 30 mark i'm like i'll just get six more and i'll go get a keeper because yeah. like you can't compare mm -hmm. three three fiends versus a keeper I'm taking the keeper every day. I get, it, yeah, I get a I, monstrous rampage, a heroic action. I get probably more attacks, more damage, probably a better uh, euphoric killer. Like it's just upside, upside, upside. Absolutely. And then in in some armies, uh, they really like to keep their terrain faction up. You summon the keeper nearby. Uh, that terrain faction may not be there, and that's a misgrand strat. So th that monster action is so good for some of the armies that are currently doing really well. But the keeper secrets, especially if you didn't bring one, will let something else fight again in the combat phase, and that just becomes incredible value. 
Um, no bonuses to charge or anything, so there is a chance, say, you're fishing for that nine if you're trying to get it into action right away. But uh, overall, the accessories on the keeper and what it brings if you're trying to summon it and you really need it, I think it's it's going to be the best value out of any of these options here if you have the depravity and are doing very well with it. But ultimately, it really comes down to the circumstances in the game. The buffs that we get at 36 are just excellent. Uh, but you may you may find yourself in a game with 72 or more depravity then oh yeah the keeper's coming down yeah 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 it's it's again like again this is all situational folks so if you find yourself you know about to lose an objective again battle tactics grand strategy whatever it is and summoning is important it'll help you score what you need to score or you know deny your opponent from doing their thing um yeah you might drop from the the 24 mark that i keep talking about a lot but i think a lot of this is probably tempting you and maybe not the most use of your depravity um keeper of secrets i could see maybe maybe my question to you before we move on to the next uh, particular part is you mentioned this is a great way to bring in a keeper if you don't pay for one so maybe the two questions in this is is that a strategy is that like a legitimate strategy like build up an army and get a free keeper of secrets as well as um is two keeper of secrets too many if i pay for one and then summon another i think it might be a little bit too expensive and for what you can get in a starting list if your strategy is going to get revolve around bringing a keeper onto the onto the party onto the board um i think it's a bit too much of a of a cost for a starting list and just with what the army wants to do it just really wants to seek out the depravity gen, uh, generation and focus any of these other fantastic units to summon uh, into the circumstance that requires it the most. But on, on my side, I think it's a very good strategy. If you have the extra depravity and have a unit on the table that could still benefit from a fight twice or from some of the accessories a keeper can brings, uh, I think it's a good idea to build around potentially trying to summon one. They're not terrible. Uh, I've seen some feedback and some notes out there about keepers not really getting there, but I think they are in a very good spot. They're not like the last book, but they're not also at the OP broken level of fight last um, that we used to have before. So the keepers being gorgeous models, you know, everyone wants to bring one out to the table and say, all right, here's my centerpiece that was sitting out here in my tray for a little bit. It's now joining the party. Look at, check out these claws. They might do some, some efficient damage, but they don't have volume of attacks but they have that delicate precision, which I think lives up to their name. And you know, they want to precisely hit something. Two ah, keepers. Think, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the problem with the keepers, though, is their fight twice ability is now only just once per game. It doesn't matter how many we bring. So you get some diminishing returns on multiples. Yeah. No, great, great shout. Great shout. Um, let's talk about the sub factions right so we talked a little bit about the three different sub factions interesting that you lost a couple because what was it the ever chosen book which was a supplement inc expanded it to have an extra couple and this is probably the smallest amount of sub factions that any book has like all of them seem to have like six five or eight like a large amount so um you've only got three options and these are obviously you got your invaders your god seekers and your pretenders so when you look at the three and you know we'll get through all three of them in a minute do you think all three of them are good do you think two are better than others like are they, are they unique play styles like what's your what's your general overview of the three 
sub-factions? So I believe that there's two sub-factions here that will see more play than the third, but they all generally tend to lean into a type of gameplay style. Yes. Um, myself, uh, I'm really leaning into uh, God Secrets a little bit, but it is sad to see us lose the other three that uh, the Ever Chosen book brought us, and unfortunately, we no longer have the Lurid Haze, the Scarlet Cavalcade, or the Faultless Blades anymore. So those, unfortunately, are now a thing of the past. Um, so we will have to play out of these. And I think you're correct about these being the least amount of sub-factions available in any books, but I think it's the first time that the designers really brought together mini army builds with the spell lords being tied to the sub-faction. Uh, so I, I like this approach. Uh, I think it's really interesting and really allows us to select the sub-faction that plays best into our playstyle. And we're able to build some fantastic heroes with all of this awesome equipment and build some very interesting strategies. But uh, as we dive into it, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of see what kind of builds come out of this. Folks are still playtesting and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, and, and sure, like this is like two mm -hmm. again, remind remind everyone, this is like two weeks after the book's been out. So there'll be more playtesting, more clarification. We already know, for example, the pretenders has had a change in the strength of godhood, for example. So things may change in the future. We get it. Um, so but like from your initial observation, when I look at an invaders list, what's the archetype? What's the thing that it wants to do? And What's maybe some of the considerations? And then we'll get into like your favorite command traits, your artifacts and your spells. So what what are what's the good archetype, the heroes, the units, the like how do I think about this faction? All right. So with when it comes to invaders, this this sub faction really tends to lean into bringing all sorts of units, first making all of your heroes generals, um, so you can unlock all the battle lines and really try to piece together a list that tends to lean very strongly into a sort of alpha strike or really pushing models up the table with leading to a perfect turn. Uh, a lot of the abilities and the command traits and the artifacts of power tend to add more to your attacks and really make you very aggressive. Uh, so this leans very hard into that cannon aspect that our army now has um, with the spell or kind of helping out a little bit to mitigate some of the things, but ultimately you are able to build a nice smashy keeper out of this, uh, some nice smashy chariots if you want to, uh, but ultimately mount a very strong alpha push um, with all of the heroes that are eligible being able to take advantage of these battle traits that are up there. Um, so these heroic actions, escalating havoc. What I'm really looking at here is this hurler of obscenities, which is an awesome way of just having your heroes kind of gang up as long as we can roll those two ups. Gang up on a unit and just say, hey, you no longer have a save since at the moment is it, it is able to stack and overlay on top of each other and apply layers. Sure, you're giving it plus one to hits, but if it has no save, I don't think it's gonna survive. And that's a fantastic uh, ability to use on a euphoric killer's target just to let everything go through. Um, but ultimately, these extra attacks, you know, your best of the best with adding extra attacks, icon, more attacks for a turn. It really tries to lean into picking that turn or putting the pieces together, having the positioning to mount a really good offense and just push your models up the table. I think this one really leans into that aspect the most, but is unfortunately one of these sub factions that may not see the most play 
because others just bring so much tools uh, to the army. So, so give me an example <clears throat> of a, a good hero. Who's a good general option for an invader's army? So looking at obviously like the, the, the figureheads of the Dark Prince, you then have the Escalating Havoc that allows you to sw uh, swap out or get an extra uh, command trait. Uh, I think it is command trait. Uh, yep. So yep. What, what, what's, what's a good example of a general that might fit the invader's theme? I've really been liking bringing a Keeper of Secrets in this army. Um, just really building that smashy Keeper to have that extra attack if it's near a hero with best of the best. Um, and then as well as the Icon of Infinite Access to add another attack to it. Uh, with it, it just really builds a really smashy keeper with the Hurler of Obscenities if you roll that two up. So with that, uh, I'm looking at bringing some other eligible heroes that really help out in this ability. Um, and then in addition to that, the other heroes that can help stack with it. For support heroes, something that would kind of be a little bit eligible to stack up this Hurler of Obscenities trait. Maybe a Lord of Pain if you're having some mortals chill around too. Um, the Contorted Epitome as well with just uh, a lot of attacks. And I would also probably consider this for a Chariot if you're looking at it too, an Exalted Chariot with Bladebringer. Um, becomes a really good piece to just really move up the board. What I kind of find fun with this Invaders is bringing a Hellflare Bladebringer uh, an exalted of a blade ringer and a seeker of a blade ringer. Now you have all the chariots. So an oops, all chariots could actually work in invaders, um, and then just spam command abilities, just how they work. But I really like the keeper secrets for this one. Yeah, yeah, I I do love the idea. Like I looked at the chariots and I'm like, oh, I'd love to run a chariot army. But if you were like, there's obviously so many things you trade away if you do. But if you want to, this is like a good place to do it. Um, Rapid fire, what's your favorite command trait of the three and why? Base, I would always start off with best of the best so that your uh, hero that's starting on the table has that extra attack when it's near another allied hero or an enemy hero because it just wants a hero nearby. But then this would allow Escalating Havoc to function as you need to pick one that's different from the one you have. Ultimately, the best command trait in this sub-faction is going to be the Hurler of Obscenities to just pick and choose. Hey, you just have minus one to save. The the hit is kind of negligible, but that is the one you really want to have in the bank since the hero that is using this heroic action will get to pick it and then allow another hero to copy it um, yeah. if they roll that two up. So you definitely want to start off with one of the other two um, just so you have the Hurler of Obscenities in, your, in, in the bank. And since it just goes off in the start of the combat phase, it's nice to always just use your turn if you're ready for it or just to force some tough decisions on your opponent if it's on their turn uh, and just try to copy. It's like, hey, if you come over here where my two or three heroes are, uh, you have a chance of having a really bad time. There's uh, just so many options here that gets into the mind of your opponent. It's like, yeah, I, I, you, do you want to keep your main piece? Do you want Kragnos to be saving on sixes? You know, all that, all that good stuff. Oh, yikes. What about the art? What, what about your artifact choice? What's your favorite? Icon of Infinite Access, and this this unlocks some play that we did not have in any of our previous books of adding extra attacks to our units. A keeper potentially having four attacks because of the best of the best with the claws. You know, we're we're getting up there on some five damage weapons, especially with delicate precision doing some mortals. It's just delicious. Um, so I really like this icon. 
Rodham Israel is a miss, unfortunately. That that's something we we never want to consider at all. Um, but the beguiling gem is an interesting one, but I, I just don't know what we really want to hope for when it comes to bravery shenanigans. Uh, you're usually just going to take Icon. If you want a second artifact, just go with the Arcane Tome, but Icon is fantastic. And then throw it in the Fane for a plus one to wound buff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always a funny one playing with the bravery because half the armies in the game are like bravery 10. So, if you, I mean, obviously you can do it for fun, but if you're going to a tournament... It's always a risk of what happens if I play against demons or undead or any of the many mm -hmm. factions out there with super high bravery. Like it's, you're going to need to invest a lot more than just the beguiling gem, but you're right. Like it's got some play, but I think the icon of infinite excess. And as you mentioned, having an extra artifact to chuck into the fane to get the extra boosts is always a good idea. And maybe why you don't want to be battle reg. You want to have an extra artifact mm -hmm. just to throw away into the fane. Absolutely. And spell law. Do, do you like all three? Uh, what's your favorite of the spells? Like, how do you see all three of those? Because it's interesting because unlike many other books, normally you have a table or a couple of tables. For you, your spells are tied to your, your sub-faction. So you can't use Lash of Slanesh if you are in Pretenders. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's only when you're invaders, which I thought was an interesting uh, little play here in the book. But talk to me about the spells. Do you like all three, or does one stand out better than others? One does stand out a little bit better than others, but uh, some my comment about the Invader spell lore is that it unfortunately doesn't reach the same power level as some of the other ones, and why this sub-faction might see a little bit less play. But Lash of Slanesh is really nice um, for those armies that um, want to kind of bring up a lot of attacks. You know, you really get a chance to really diminish their output and just kind of make them really hit like wet noodles, and it's not going to do much with all the other debuffs we have available to us. Pavane comes in as a very close second, but ultimately, even for high moves, just cutting that by about a third uh, for, for the rest of the game is nice, but it's it's just not doing it for me. And then Historical Frenzy then really tries to get into those bravery shenanigans a little bit again. Um, so I'm not really liking that. You know, you might get two mortal wounds on average on something with like six bravery. So like, I don't really like that. Lash of Slanesh is probably the one that I would bring on one or two wizards um, just because having it around the battlefield is kind of nice for our protection and, you know, just reducing someone's output significantly. But um, this spell lore just isn't uh, the same kind of power level that we might see in other sub-factions. My recommendation is just look at sla at the lash, and then maybe elsewhere for other spells like flaming weapon, mystic shield, oh, yeah. arcane bolt, just endless spells. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Like I, I wasn't that. I mean, Parvain is all right, but it wouldn't be my first spell. It'd definitely be my second spell somewhere because being mm -hmm. able to reduce the the movement of of that problem is like it's range twelve. So like yeah. move, you know, reducing its movement when you're already within twelve is not that bad but if it had like range 18 or 24 and you could sl slow its advance now we're talking now we're cooking with gas absolutely um it, it kind of combos with uh what are the gnashing jaws if you want to try and get a little bit more to wounds in there um other little abilities but ultimately you're slowing something down it's kind of good it's the rest of the game but you can't affect that unit again so that's that's just the one-off with yeah. that spell and sure, you could use Umbral Spell Portal if you wanted to, but I just don't think it's a tool that I want to in continue investing in. Um, it's, a ni it's, it's nice, but maybe not that nice. Um, but 
we talked about invaders. Let's talk pretenders. Uh, same deal. Um, so you got a couple of com battle traits, which is interesting. Go back to like a high level view. What's the archetype or the style or what is the pretenders wanting to do that may be a little bit different even to what we've seen already? Like how does this one play out? So pretenders is a sub faction that I find to be the most flexible, the one that wants to try and do everything and with the tools that it has can just about do anything it wants to. Um, the heir to the throne ability of receiving all these command points. You know, I'm going into round two or my opponent is going into round two, seeing me with seven command points that can be spent into anything. Um, this just allows the army to be really annoying um, and have access to everything in the core rulebook and the DHB just for no reason. So I, it's really good uh for being at flexible and being able to react very well to many things the warlord supreme ability here with being able to copy a command multiple times from the general uh makes it very excellent for using your runs your forward to victories um using your redeploys uh three times in a round all out attack all out defense in the combat and inspiring presence on our already kind of low bravery units the uh, one weakness that I would see with Pretenders is that it really depends on its general, since only the general is able to benefit from this. Uh, so something to keep in mind is where the general is, what threats could come to it, or uh, if it's a bit exposed, you know, to really try and cover that as you try positioning it, because losing that piece really cuts down on the value of this sub-faction. But this army with that general already having 18 inch range just really covers a lot of the board and you may want to really put that on something with a large base uh i've seen some lists that forego the command trade entirely and put it on gluto since he may, may be a little bit rough to remove but has a huge base and a huge profile on the board and just issues commands to anyone around him on a keeper secrets uh again with the accessories makes it really tanky and a very good option for a hero in this list and then another one that might also benefit as being your general might be the contorted epitome since it can't easily be sniped off with magic but will be very mobile around the battlefield and make great use of strength of godhood uh with its nine attacks yeah i like it i like mm -hmm. it um and I, I love the fact that you've talked about glutos for example who wouldn't get a command trade but you're trading up and still being able to leverage warlord supreme and heir to the throne and that's enough of a benefit that you could pick Senesa, Dexessa, you know, one of the unique characters, mm -hmm. Shalaxi, if you wanted that. Because um, often you wouldn't want to trade your command trait. You you would not, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't want to trade it off. But that is a good, you know, being able to have so many extra command points, not, even have, not having to worry if you go first or second. And there's a couple of books, and maybe we'll see this play out more often, where we are seeing the command point mechanic being played around, whether it's stealing your opponent's command points, forcing you to spend two command points where you'd normally only have to spend one. So having this abundance of command points allows you, and then obviously being able to issue it three times through Warlord Supreme really allows you to do what you want to do and not have to worry about, do I use a command point here or here? You can have them all. Oh yeah, I mean, just being very flexible, very reactionary. Your opponent thinks that, okay, if I move closer to this little group that I, you might have on the side of the table, seeing all three of them redeploy away just is very disheartening. And you just want to make sure you you put that these abilities and you pick a warlord that you know you can keep safe for a little bit because that's just 
from a competitive standpoint, a really good ability to always be threatening on the table and just finishing the round with extra command points that you just couldn't use. You just didn't have enough commands. Um, it just makes you really nice. I, I can appreciate this because as a Gits player in the old book, I would end a game with like plus 15 command points spare. Obviously, it used to be able to accumulate <laughs> over the battle. So like yeah. I have too many command points and not enough commands to issue. So I can appreciate having the luxury of spending so many. Um, same same structure, um, rapid, like what's your favorite command trait? Who does it go on to? Why of the three? All right. So absolutely. Uh, I think for me, it's really split between the Keeper of Secrets and the Contorted Epitome just in the way that I've been playing with this uh, sub-faction when using the Strength of Godhood. Um, I've had my Contorted Epitome with a Flaming Weapon up and the Strength of Godhood abil ability, which does not stack anymore thanks to this errata here. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll bring that up really quickly yeah. because the text there, so it has been eroded. This was mm -hmm. quickly eroded, like <laughs> the Stormcast Dragons not being able to move. Uh, so you can see here, uh, it's now once per turn if the general issues a command to a different friendly Heed Knights of Slanesh unit. Until the end of that turn, improve the Ren characteristic of this general's melee weapon by one and add one to the damage characteristic uh, for the general's melee weapon. So it has changed a little bit since what's on the text there. Absolutely. Um, just being able to benefit from it once um, is already pretty good. Um, the extra ren and the damage um, when you issue it to a different slash unit um, just makes these units a little bit more killy and a little bit more reliable with the damage that they can output. But on a contorted epitome, having nine attacks with one profile and two more with the second, um, are you really able to stack up some damage and run it into a unit that you know you can deal with? And also battle tactic. Taking another GC with a GC, I think, uh, makes it a, a viable target. So I think it's it's very valuable in this GHP for that purpose. But I've had a contorted epitome go into a Lord of Change and deal 19 damage to it. So uh, it's it's been really nice as a little as aspect with our very mobile heroes uh, to send out there. So Strength of Godhood really does it for me if you're playing the non-unique hero. Um, and on a Keeper of Secrets... Uh, three damage sword attacks, six damage claws is really tasty. And uh, the strength of the keeper when purchasing it in your list to start off on, on the board is going to be kidding it out with some of these items. Um, when it comes to the artifacts of power, you know, we got some very tasty items here. Really looking at this crown of dark secrets. Yeah. Um, so at the start of your first hero phase, uh, picking the one unit on the battlefield that if the bearers near them will have their attacks only be one. And I believe the way this works is that after they are within the aura and have their attacks reduced down to one, they can still add to their attacks, but um, any bonuses that they had before they were moved into this aura range um, just makes it one at that point. But uh, as, really a good... as a Gargan player, yeah. I am uh -oh. dread this. Uh -oh. I dread <laughs> this because my Gatebreaker, who I just has like, you know, just... It's high value attacks, but low amount. If you bring that down to a one attack and I do, I could smash you in the face <laughs> and I fluff that and I've got to spend a triumph. I've got to do all that attack. I'll do everything possible. And unfortunately, Gargans are mostly a melee focused army. So I have to go into within six inches to handle this. Um, I really dread this crowd of dark secrets. So um I mean, obviously, if I have lots and lots and lots of attacks, 
I couldn't care. Uh, I mean, lots of profiles. I'm not going to care, but it's, yeah, as a Gargan player, I'm like, I freak out about that one. Yeah, it makes it a little bit interesting too, especially running this into Archeon. Um, now he can't slay your kings, your keeper. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that terror guy I was talking about with like the Grizzle Gore, well. like cool, yep. cool. You got four attacks. You normally, you know, sometimes you're lucky to trigger two sixes. You got one shot. Yep. Then you can layer on a little bit of those coalition allies, um, a piece of chaos cockatrice, and now they're only hitting on sixes if you stare at them. Uh, there's just a lot of nice little controlly aspects that we can add to pretenders. Um, even 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 the fact it. you get minus one to hit with your uh, twelve plot points of revel in depravity, like all of mm -hmm. a sudden you're now within six inches already minus one to hit, and now you're reduced to one attack or one attack per profile. Like I'm going to spend a resource just to get onto a base profile, and I've only got one attack. It's like. Yep, your opponent's going to probably try to keep their unit away from whatever this, uh, whatever the unit on your army is holding this artifact. But now you're playing a little bit of cat and mouse, chasing each other around the battlefield and really trying to hunt them down. So uh, a little bit of additional positioning and mind tricks that are like, where is this unit? Where is the crown? And uh, just going around. But once again, just be mindful of where your unit is. Because often it may just be the general that has this and your general is way too valuable in pretenders there's um, a lot of good uses of this like you know you think about you know kragnos marathi belloc i'm uh, not belloc kragnos marathi archaeon yep. um like uh, scarbrand like there's so many good things that you just want to be able to shut down um you obviously it does not have even have to be a hero and... no 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 i'm just yeah. saying like, but, the, yeah. but those alone like if you think about like yep. what kragnos can do that 700 points mm -hmm. of pure pain that you've turned into especially if you charge Kragnos, so he doesn't get the mortal wounds on the charge. Mm -hmm. Like that does just neuter your opponent. That's one third of their army. Yep. It, it, it's, it's insane value. And uh, there may be some changes to this artifact potentially. I've been seeing some talks about it, but I think right now it's just really good for the value it brings and just potentially shutting down that opponent's piece. But on that point though, it does not have to affect the hero. If your opponent is really putting all their eggs in the basket of a really killy unit, 15 Chosen, 15 Knights, um, Empty Throne, Baron Guard, uh, your 36 Squig Herd, uh, you know, all that good stuff, just kind of taking them to one attack is, is a little punishing, and you want your hero just to get right in there and try to neuter uh, that threat. What about the spell mm -hmm. law? Yeah, what's your favorite spells of the spell law? All right, so this one has some really good combination pieces. Um, I think the Speller is, is up there really competing with the other sub-faction, but uh, Phantasmagoria is going to be the best pick. I, again, short range, but uh, having that ability to get in with one of our you know, kind of squishy heroes or squishy units uh, once you're already in the thick of it, you know, just looking at the spell for round two, round three, I wouldn't really invest into it with a spell portal, but um, really get into a unit and be able to retreat from it if that scary unit is trying to get into your units. Being able to just retreat, um, let's see, Skaven ability, Skitter Away. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the Ungor have it as well. Skinks used to have it. Um, it's just really valuable in our army to leave when they're about to hit you and it kind of adds a little bit into that crown ability where like all right you have their one threat hit with the crown now the other threat 
has Fantasmagory on it and they can't really hit anything. Um, makes it really nice. And with the new hero that Slanesh received, uh, the Lord of Hubris, I think it's worth talking about the little combination that has been hopping around there with... Yeah, talk, we, we, we do have the yeah. War Scroll coming up, but talk yeah. about it now while we're here. Yeah, well, we, just the one ability that he does bring with the U first, I insist, um, allowing a unit to uh, strike first, but only target him. If that unit is affected with Phantasmagoria, this Lord of Hubris walks up, presents himself as a very interesting target, and forces all their attacks to go onto him, and then just leaves. Uh, without <laughs> any target now being available to that unit, now they just kind of sit there, uh, and they have no option to take the challenge, they have to take it as per that War Scroll ability. But we can get into more until, of what he does. Until your next hero phase, each time that unit is picked to fight, uh, oh, you cast it on the enemy. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you cast mm -hmm. it on the enemy. Um, and then until your next hero phase, when they go to fight, you yeet out. Yep, just leave. It's like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not interested in this right now. I like it. I would have picked Born from Damnation of Damnation as my first spell, mm -hmm. just because what we talked about earlier with Depravity and the um, the Temptation dice, I find it's a good fail back that I can at least get, I know like I'm playing maths here, but I'm getting mm -hmm. approximately three on average from Born from Depravity, uh, Born from Damnation, and then from extra things, I can kind of creep up and it'll obviously give me summoning pieces or it'll help me get up to the next tier of the Revels. Uh, just because I'm finding at least the discussion as more and more opponents are learning about the temptation dice, I do wonder how many you will actually have in your pool um, throughout the game and how impactful it is to not have depravity through the game. So I would be, I would personally be trying to find other ways, like whether well, the keeper has ways to get extra depravity. One yep. of the endless spells has extra ways of depravity. Maybe it's a feel a fail safe for me. Uh, you make a really good point with that, and unlike the last sub faction that had like a really one decent spell, this one I would really want to look at Born of Damnation as the second spell to really try to fit into the list from the lore. Um, Casting Valley of Six is you know a little bit higher than Phantasmagoria, but uh, having that little bit of generation from a hero just sitting kind of in the back, out of range, um, generating a, should be at least three per round on average. Um, is really good for potentially pushing you up to that next tier or on its own getting you to a tier if you have not had the luck at all to generate any depravity. But um, I do like it as the second spell. When it comes to Soul Slice shards, unfortunately, though, rolling dice to then roll more dice, you know, just becomes very risky and into some matchups just is not going to work out. Is very nice if it does go off, but this is just one of those very situational spells that is not going to see much play from this spell lore. Um, it's not, it's not yeah. a bad spell. Like when it, it, de it depends on where the meta's at, right? Because sure. you know, you've got Lumineth, you've got uh, Gargans, you've got Beast Chlorators, you've got um, like who else, who else is doing well at the moment? Like uh, not Gargans aren't doing well at the moment. <laughs> um, but like, if you think about like Gits out there at the moment, Beast of Chaos are out there at the moment, they all have low bravery. So mm -hmm. you, you can go in there. This is, this is still a decent spell, but it probably wouldn't be my first pick. I think you, you and I both agree Ph Phantasmagoria and Born of Damnation should be in your rotation. If you find yourself with an extra wizard, why not consider soul, soul slice, slice shard that, uh, it wouldn't be my first choice in uh, when I'm building my list. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's up there as a, a nice little target. Um, Terra Wings have been doing really well. We have other, um, we have another similar spell like this on one of our War Scrolls that I think is a little more reliable, but this is an option if we are in Pretenders, as you mentioned, yeah. having an extra wizard, but you want the rotation with the other two spells. Anything else with Pretenders? Uh, just really liking the full flexibility and the ability to then bring in any units and have an answer to anything with just using and abusing the commands that we, we get in this army. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this. It does put some players in a pinch with choosing their battle line, since if you want the Keeper or an Epitome to make the most out of String of Godhood, it takes you away from other infantry troop options. But a Lord of Pain is not a bad option as well to have as your general in this at all. Like It's just going to be really good if you want to bring uh, your elite infantry. I would just be very cautious of using the new Lord of Hubris just because uh, he kind of wants to be up in the thick of it, and it's just too many eggs in one basket as your Warlord Supreme. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, if I was taking the Lord, uh, the Painbringer, Painbringer, what's his name? Uh, Lord of Pain. Lord of Pain. Okay. Yeah, like he's just a bit, he's a little slow, and I think at the Crown of Dark Secrets, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that combination. I mean, Keeper, absolutely, you got the speed, the base size to, to go hunt. That I feel like if you put that on like a, a slower, small hero like that. You could just avoid it. I feel like I could avoid the Crown of Dark Secrets on a small hero a lot easier. Uh, and I'm really referring to the Lord of Pain as being the Warlord Supreme and having the oh, traits, yeah, 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 but yeah, the yeah, art yeah. the artifact can go on the Epitome or something fast to really chase something around the field. Um, I'm just call I'm just calling that out that if you were yeah. going to do that, I would probably swap where the artifact goes. I wouldn't put it yep. on the the Lord of Pain because yeah, but I think like, we, we all we all agree on this one, which is good. Um, and then the I mean that, that doesn't have to be good, but I think we both agree on the thinking behind it. And mm -hmm. then the last one is the God Seekers. So again, what's the archetype? How does this one particularly work? And how is it a little bit different than the rest? So this is one that's really been growing on me. You know, a lot of excellent play. You know, it's not as consistent as the other ones, but just having that extra movement from this uh, Thundering Cavalcade and Maniacal Hunter's abilities um, has just really grown on me as well. Um, so looking at it from perspective, we're saving command points with Thundering Cavalcade as long as our heroes are around the units. And it's, of course, would benefit themselves, always just rerolling their charges. And on Sigvald, I think he's really going to love this. He's like, all right, trying to fish for a higher higher charge. If he's been hit by the Chaos Shrine, oh, he's just rolling his 3d6 for free. Oh, we're going to have a good time. Our Tusk Helm is going to live in this stuff action. Um, we have other spells when we get to it that give us 3d6. This is magnificent i think this one is really competing with pretenders and just the utility of what we're going to get from these abilities to be a fantastic choice monaco hunter though is is just something that's going to take a lot of players off guard with moving off or onto objectives you know just sneaking up behind the corners um an opponent that may have screened an objective off really well blocking you off from piling into it during combat in the previous round if you're able to take that unit out start of the next round you just move right onto the objective and it's yours now what i do like about this monica hunter though is that it happens before uh players command receive points. their command points so it it is at the start of the battle round um and because it's happening before a hero phase moving on to the objective lets you take control of it 
um, as the checks happen at the beginning of a, of a turn. Uh, so I do really like that ability of just making your opponent really come back to a unit if he took that objective. I want to pause for a second because this, this is a little technical and a little bit gamey for people who are like, how does this mm -hmm. actually work in theory, right? So at the start of the battle round, each player receives a starting command. Before they receive their command points, um, you can move up to D3 friendly Godseeker units that are more than three inches, so basically not in combat. Um, you can move them D6 inches. You roll it separately for each of those units. Yeah. Now, those units must finish more than three inches, so you can't move them outside of combat, inside of combat, can't do that. So I can move, basically, up to D3 models, D6 inches. Okay, it on it sounds okay, but when you put it into practice, what does it mean, Edgar? So, like, well, give me some real tangible examples mm -hmm. of what you could use this for. Uh, very first, in shooting versus shooting matchups or where your opponent is bringing some threats and you may not know if you're going to get priority, uh, you can really measure out your units and all your good stuff, find out what their threat ranges are, and if you're going to get priority in the turn, move closer to where your units uh, will have the most impact, screen a little bit better. Um, if you feel like you may have baited your opponent into an area, it's like, hey, you thought you, know, you, you took the first round to potentially take advantage of this opening, but now this free redeploy at the start of the round is just going to let me move and kind of cover that up um, and just kind of reposition since Age of Sigmar really lives on that movement and positioning aspect. This sub-faction really just gives you that extra bit of movement. Of course, not into combat or anything like crazy like Horn, but um, just keeping that those thoughts in your opponent's head is like, all right, I will need to deal with some movement here. You know, it could just be an inch and it's a bit of a gamble or it could be a massive six that just rotates into changing the aspect of the game and just potentially making your opponent waste a turn with this new unit that just kind of moved into place. So this just require a lot of overhead or I want to say top perspective thinking and looking at the board, knowing where this move, because it could just be one unit or it could just be three, uh, really getting an impact. But what I also like about this is if you know, if you have the ability to decide turn priority, to move your slower units up a little bit more, your slower Painbringers, Sigvald with his six inch, you know, could benefit a lot from moving up a little bit closer. Uh, Slangor as well, like Calvary, anything would really benefit from getting into a better position to make a better strike, hit somewhere better where a Euphoric Killer's ability might um, actually get them closer to a unit that you want to get to. So I, I really like this for the offensive capabilities in that manner or the defensive of just maybe moving away from a threat range. So like there's so much that I think about with this rule. I could move mm -hmm. a unit onto cover for extra save. I could move a hero yep. onto mystical or, or um, arcane terrain to get the six up ward or the plus one to casting. I could move onto an objective. I could move off an objective. I could move in line of sight blocking or get towards a garrison. I could move closer to the enemy to make a charge easier, or I could move backwards to avoid them. And that would obviously come into shooting. I could move something into unbind range. I could get them out of casting you know, range. Like there's so much interplay here that you could possibly do. You could put more models onto an objective to, to contest. Um, I think, is it the Lord? Is it the, is it the, um, 
not the Myrmidish, the um the Painbringers. Is one of them like they count more on objective in enemy territory? I think it is. Like, I don't I think, think we have is. that. I think it's the plus one to saves um in enemy territory yeah. you're thinking of on the Painbringers. Yeah, I remember there was something, but like long story short, like there's so many little interplays that you could use this for. You could make a, you know, you do that plus a redeploy like later on, or mm-hmm. you you get them in range of a command ability. Like if you're out of range to do a rally from your general or whatever like now you are like there's just so many things you can do which basically like it's not just movement it's what the movement can do for you absolutely um and your opponent may be thinking hey i have unbind range or my 18 uh inch range spell can hit this target uh as deployment is happening uh not so much oh we're out of there um so a lot a lot of potential opportunities open up with this type of ability and moving into these type of abilities, especially if maybe a terrain arcane ability is just outside of your deployment zone or where you wanted to deploy and just move right closer to it, get the benefit. Hell, you could move on to dam. You can move on to dam terrain and now you can take plus one to, to hit by taking D three mortal wounds. Like, cool. There's another way. Like there's so many things you could possibly do. Anyway, there's my Ted talk. Just there's a couple of ideas on how you can use (laughs) manacle hunters what what are the what are the command traits artifact and spells that you would choose or at least your priority ones so this is the sub faction that really spoils us for choice and i think unlike the other sub factions brings a lot to the table with what kind of list you want to build for um the command traits that are offered here so once again uh just kind of looking at the speed chaser real quick uh, for that Thunder and Cavalcade, you know, fishing for uh, a bigger charge to make use of those four ups based on what you roll to do some mortal wounds uh, on whatever that general charges uh, is going to be fantastic. Um, I don't think this combines with the Tusk Helm because it's just one that goes off. So just to make that put no, that clarification no, no. out there. But, but can I just say mm-hmm. one thing about Thunder and Cavalcade that we didn't talk mm-hmm. about? Okay. When you try just 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 for anyone who may not have connected this dot. Um, when you use a command point to re-roll a charge, you can't do it on anyone else. Like it's one unit in that in that phase. Mm-hmm. You now can do it on everyone. So now even any any charge, and obviously, obviously wholly within 12 inches of Godseeker Hero, yep. yeah, 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 I get that. But it means <laughs> you can re-roll so many of your charges, get more of them into combat, trigger off those mortal wounds on sixes when you're on 24 revel in depravity let alone any of the other abilities we've spoken about some good stuff in there yeah that's more command points save we're not generating crazy amounts like pretenders here so this is saving us for that all out defense a lot of attack or inspiring friends we might need later in the turn or some but, of those uh, risky those, those risky charges like the ones that are like nine out 12 out the ones that you summon and you're now outside of nine You've Absolutely. now got a better chance to get them in combat because you're getting more opportunities to roll. Absolutely. Um, and once again, like at the beginning, Sigvard really loves this and is going to want to fish for a higher charge just for free. I was like, why not? Um, but yes, it's a very hard choice for me here on what to pick. And uh, when it comes to the command traits, we are able to build a really good Keeper of Secrets out of this one with the Hunter Supreme um, with having that additional attack on the charge, you know, making it so that a unit can't pile into the keeper um, or can't pile in at all. Um, if we want to charge it with two units, kind of tag them on edges and then just prevent as much fallback on ourselves. 
Um, but a really good keeper series can be built in this God Seekers faction. Um, an idea that has been tossing around my mind for anyone trying to run demonettes uh, into the fray on a vice leader is actually kind of interesting. Um, with having that strike first and then letting demonettes uh, fight in as well with that uh, similar rules as to the Chaos Lord um, without needing the uh, bodyguard battalion or the storm bodyguard. Um, it just becomes an interesting choice, but uh, we have options, you know, getting Sigvald into strike first, getting a keeper into strike first if you decide to go that route, um, and then letting Sigvald fight again. <laughs> so it's it's really awesome with the opportunities and the abilities we have to make out of the, out of these command traits here. Um, a nice smashy keeper, just one still, I, I think, but um, it's just beautiful with Into the Fray and Hunter Supreme. We're spoiled for choice here. Sigvald um, wouldn't obviously Sigvald's a named character, so you can't give him a command trait uh, for obvious reasons. Um, correct. So Sigvald would just get the strike first from charging, but now you're if you have Sigvald in here benefiting from the uh, movement, um, he is just going to move in with the keeper. Keeper will strike first, Sigvald will strike first, keeper will then let Sigvald fight again, and he activates as your first normal activation and then fights again. And so, I just wanted to make I just wanted yeah. to make the connection in case anyone thought about trying to add into the fray onto Sigvold and then trying to work out why that was an error no, no. or illegal. No, it's we're just calling out a war scroll ability. Anyway, yeah. artifacts of power. I think I don't know. For me, cameo of the Dark Prince was the one that I like, but I always hate ones per battle abilities. It kind of always grinds my gears. Well, being able to issue free commands on a turn you think you might need it, but ultimately the strategies can really uh, I don't want to say lean into the other two artifacts. Um, the nice thing about Cameo, and I used to use it a lot in the old God Seekers just for a command point and to throw it into the Fane um, becomes a nice little use for th this one use artifact. Um, I, I, I imagine, though, the third one is the one that you're going to like. Like when you uh, add that to the Keeper with Hunter, like surely it's it's Girdle, right? It's yep. it's Girdle? Yeah. For uh, I, I'm going to surprise you on this one, but I, I want to build on to what you just mentioned there. For anyone wanting to build a good Keeper, you know, your Hunter Supreme or into the Fray Keeper, Girdle's going to be the way to go on that Keeper, letting it fly, pile in six. For anyone that missed that from our old books, um, it's it, it's something that makes the Keeper a little spicy and you know, potentially avoid a nasty unleash hell and get into some sentinels uh after what i like about and, this is i i believe you can just run and still just be eligible to fight like zombies uh, right can fly uh in addition the bear can uh is eligible to fight yeah yes yeah, so you, you can yeah. you can run you can run so it's like the zomb it's like uh, zombies and the sisters of slaughter the other one just to call out in case um, we don't get to it is you can avoid monstrous rampages so yep. you get yourself outside of like let's say you put yourself in four um can't monstrous rampage you then you pile in and then you slap them good so mm -hmm. um it's another way to, to to leverage that because you and for anyone who doesn't know how this all works you can still run and you're not charging right so you know there's no run and charge ability in this particular area but you are eligible to pile in if you're within six inches so if you use a command point to go six or if you make the normal run roll as long as you end that move within well within six inches, you will be eligible to pile in when you are through the activation process in combat. So that's how that works if you are unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what I've been seeing and that I kind of wanted to bring up and potentially surprise you with is this Threnody voice box, which even though it's a once per battle, I really do like this. 
Um, and I wasn't using it on a Keeper Seekers, you know, just other heroes um, that are playing a little cagey. You know, we're bringing your Lord of Pain or something that a hero that wants to be up in the front. Um, yeah, you're eventually going to get charged and you're going to go into melee with some units. Um, got a chance to explore this. Uh, my opponent brought my Han, and so I was like, oh, I, I, this is the artifact that I wanted to try out today, and it actually uh, was 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 pretty great. Um, on the charge, Blade Guys now being near the unit with this artifact, or unfortunately now not getting as much output, or big blocks of infantry, even though it's once per game, uh, it, it's very critical and adds a good swing to the game. That's then letting my Painbringers, Twin Souls, anything stay i have staying power and reduce attacks in another method i did really like the tornado voice box it's just something my opponent had to keep in mind when trying to charge into my castle or into my units that are just kind of hunkered in an objective um i do lean a lot into the girdle when it comes to the yeah. keeper build but the tornado voice box surprised me a lot and I, I i really like this is just another thought your opponent has to keep kind of like a pseudo crown like it doesn't obviously doesn't get to that point but as a once per game thing it's just it can be it can swing the tide of the entire game on a unit or multiple units because it affects everything within that range um for that it's whole big, turn yeah but it's only six i think that's my my thing with the voice box mm -hmm. it's only six inch rage obviously if you put it on a bigger base model you get more value from it for me right. girdle is the one that i would go then voice box cameo is nice mm -hmm. but when you look at some of the other things that you're getting more command points through other areas anyway like you might not need the extra command especially your once per game hell i forget about the warlord command like 90 percent of the time so like <laughs> i don't even think i yep. need the cameo but uh yeah I, I i i'll take it i'll take the voice box i can see maybe maybe for me yeah okay right, i'll give it to you no <laughs> very good uh, it's, but, it's all right but it's just the six inches for me it's just like uh well usually when you're hungry on an objective that's where i've seen it come to play and it's like yeah come try and threaten this objective for me it's uh you're not you're gonna hit like a wet noodle you have your other debuffs the minus one to hit from total depravity and now you're minus one to your attacks on bigger units it surprised me a lot, and it's something that I would really consider as a second artifact um, if I was taking something and not building yeah, a keeper. Second yeah. artifact, I agree with you. Yeah, but my first would probably be the girdle. Anyway, uh, they were both good artifacts. Like, mm -hmm. you pick whatever works for you. Uh, um, yeah, girdle for me, like, I just love six inch piling. It's, um, oh, yeah. And it allows so many tricks. The threat to the girdle, though, is that, of course, the enemy can redeploy away from you. But what if we had a spell to prevent that? Um, oh, <laughs> oh uh, nice, let's look nice at this segue. Nice segue. Yeah. Oh, what, what, what's, what's yeah. uh, what about this uh, progeny of damnation we have here? Uh, cast on a five and targeting a hero. If they finish that move near the unit that you really want to get to, they can't redeploy away from you. So here's this 20 inch move keeper um, moving right up to a nice juicy target. Doesn't need to be affected by that monster's action, as you mentioned. Very good, very good pointer there. Um, doesn't risk unleash hell or any other abilities in the charge phase. We're just going to move right in and do some damage. Um, the only kind of counter synergy that comes from this combo is if it has the Hunter Supreme, uh, it would have needed to have made the charge move, so you're not going to get the bonus attack, but your keeper is safe and able to get in there with all of its standard melee profiles and you know, really, really get in there. 
Um, who, who cares about stopping a redeploy when you can do a 3d6 charge with the pass of the dark prince mm -hmm. you're like cool i mean maybe my redeploys are mostly trash right like redeploy one or two and it doesn't matter but like let's let's go let's go 3d6 baby and yeah. i can reroll that charge so in this case what i would probably consider here uh is with that speed chaser on another hero and really get those extra mortar wounds and, and really juice it up the sad thing about this spell is that it doesn't extend your eligible distance to no. declare the charge. You still have to be within 12, but can roll that 3d6 to really guarantee your chance of getting in there. And re-roll it for free with Thundering Cavalcade. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the sweet combination, right? 3d6 charge, mm -hmm. 12 inches, I can re-roll it for using the Thunderous Cavalcade. Um, yeah, and then sl Slothful Stupor's all right, but like it's a higher casting value. And the other two just like the other two just sing to me. The other one's like, yeah, if I got a third caster, yeah, maybe. Yeah, casting melee five, casting melee five. The problem with slothful, of course, is at seven. Uh, if you're bringing it on something, probably on the contorted epitome, if it's in your list, um, just to really try and get up to, to that seven. Um, but can really just take a unit out of the game for or out of the game for a round while this spell is up if it does manage to land, um, and then just stay. A certain amount of distance away so that it never can charge you can never get into threat range you just ignore it <laughs> another element of control take out you know just not allow a thankful for example to get into your block of infantry to use those brazers in or just have archeon floating around if this lands i like the spell but the other two really fit into the other combinations of being very aggressive you know using your keeper or your your big hero to really get in there about pass though as well it it only affects the caster so we are unfortunately not able to give it to someone else uh so we can't give sigvald the three to six charge off of this no but that's where the uh, our coalition war shrine comes in so now you can get two now you can get two so if you keep a seek as a wizard it casts it that for its three to six charge and you get the shrine for siggy and you've now got two three to six charges and sigvald's attacks are based off the charge roll so giddy up yeah i'm really loving it god seekers is what i really try to plan on continuing to play it's a faction that i played before the most often when we had that plus one to charge from it but rerolls i think for the whole army as long as they're within the hero uh range it's really going to work out so just make sure you're measuring make everything's within the range of the hero and we're going to be good that's the one that really sings to me i think god, god seekers is the what is the play style that i would enjoy um, mm -hmm. Just looking at the different things, not just the command traits, but, you know, the battle traits, the artifacts, spells, that seems to be the one that I would enjoy the most. Um, speaking of enjoyment, you got the Lord of Hubris, and we already kind of gave you a little bit of insight in regards to the you first, I insist, and then yeet out if you use that little combination. But like, step step back for a second as a war scroll. What are your thoughts on the Lord of Hubris? Because it's got an okay, okay attack profile, five attacks, three threes, ren one for two. Okay, you're not wonderful, but you can slap a little bit. Okay, move, basic save at best. Like, it, when you look at this, like, you're taking it for the abilities on the scroll, um, especially if you're going to take the pain bringers or the twin souls. But when you look at the Lord of Hubris, do you like it? Will you take it? Is it an auto-include? And why do you take it if you do, or why don't you if you don't? I think uh, the game designers were a little conservative with his War Scroll design. Um, you know, it has a lot of the stats that the same Lord of 
pain brings, but you know, slightly worse save. Uh, he definitely will want to fit a certain play style. And if you're really leaning into that elite infantry build with the twin souls and the pain bringers, is where you'll likely get the most advantage out of this out of this new hero. Uh, so with that ability to allow them to fight on death, we'll add that additional value to them. You know, if they're getting charged, you know, they're really good anvils, but if they need to attack, they have a good amount of attacks. Sure. But what I really like about his only the best will suffice is if you've reached that 24 depravity threshold and, you know, just singing into the value of that, um, of that current threshold of depravity is that when your units are fighting on death, if they fought already and now they're getting hit back, fighting on death is another chance to do those mortals on sixes, get some more damage in there. Um, I really like it for that ability, but it really leans into bringing those troops. Just because of his move, if you're doing it in Godseekers, I guess it's the better way to do it for bonus moves, but the U first I insist does require a bit of playing around to set up properly. Um, So... uh, if you're getting charged or expecting that for it to happen, your opponent can ignore this or avoid a charge somewhere else because it's only a one-inch range. Um, so I had some concerns about his ability here, but if we're the ones that are able to set it up, it's I think it's okay. I just think it's kind of difficult. Having a five-up save, even though it is a four-up, only five wounds is very risky. And you know, if he is not able to get away with a Phantasmagoria combo, uh, he is definitely going to be... Uh, grind down very easily, um, in my opinion. So I'd be very conservative with trying to bring this model in unless you're trying to use that elite infantry and set up the fight on death combos and use them as a good lord. But I think you most players are going to want to lean into the buffs that the Lord of Pain brings. Um, so you're already having to invest into both of these heroes in that case, uh, which if you find the space and you have the points, I think it's worth it. I think they're both 135 from what I'm seeing here. Um, Lord Painting should be 135 as well. Yeah, they're around the same price. They're, they're around the same price, if not the same price. Uh, yeah, they're both the same price, 135, both leader, both single. Yeah, they're literally the same. Yeah. same. So yeah, it, it really has to lean into that list idea. So anyone that loves their Remember Dish Frame Bringers, pour their heart and souls into them, the Twin Souls, I think we'll see benefit from this, but ultimately... Uh, the U for sciences is a bit difficult to set up and might not really see the play out that I was really hoping for. But I think the profile is, in melee is fantastic as a hero that can fight in the hero phase if he's in combat and survived. Um, having the ward save is okay, a little bit of survivability, but um, I think there's just better choices for the hero slot that he is in. So what I'm hearing from you is if I was running a Mirma Dish or a, a Twin Souls type of list, you're probably more still lying into the Lord of Pain as opposed to the Lord of Hubris is kind of what I'm hearing. Because yep. um, I would agree with you, the one-inch setup is hard. And it's not to say that it's useless, but to get the combinations that you have in your head is going to take a lot of practice. But look, it's 135. It's an interesting pr- trade praise piece. In the Galatian Champion meta, having something with a four-up ward natively is not a bad thing to have, but uh, I probably wouldn't make it an auto-include. It's 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 interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you've got a lot of good sub-commander options in your disposal. Yeah, and, and if a player wanted to really make this kind of work and add some consistency to it, giving it an Arcane Tome, it's already taking an artifact slot, 
giving it the 3d6 uh charge spell all right now you're trying to set it up a little bit but now he may the unit that's trying to get into him he's not gonna have an escaping god seekers when you're trying to set it up this way so he will end up losing you those resources so i I just don't think it's feasible it's a lot of it's a lot of investment for potentially little return i think is uh, but hey Listen in comment section if you at this point are like, no, I'm a mad rep for the Lord of Hubris. Represent um, if that's your your homeboy, like let me know in the comments how it's working for you. I'm not currently seeing the connection um, because of the amount of resources. As Ed Guz mentioned, I think I, I would agree with you on that one. It's interesting, maybe better in a uh, a other person's army if it was a coalition or if it was an ally. It's self-contained four-up ward, minor hero, could combine nicely. Maybe not so much in a Heat Nuts of Slanish Force. Maybe. Yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, yeah if anyone uh, has any ideas on that too. Outside of a Slanish Army, that'd be that. Hey, this, I, would, I, have, yeah. I have no affiliate link. I'm not trying to convince you to go buy one. I, it's just that's just <laughs> how I'm looking at it. You've got so many great options. Um, speaking of options, uh, do you, without going into all the details, um, do you think you have good grand strategies to choose from? And if you were to pick one from this list, which is the one that you like better or will be the one you pick? All right. So this is very awesome. Or if you like uh, corn, if you like corn oh. and you don't have any good ones, then just say, no, <laughs> no, I'll stick to the general's handbook. Oh no, we absolutely have some really good ones here. Um, some that just do not require any interaction from your opponent. They cannot stop it, in particular when it comes to selfish desire. I really see that one being very popular with especially folks that don't want to bring a summoning pool and just want to really put all the eggs in the basket of the army they're playing. You just start your game off with three points. Fantastic. You're not going to summon anything. Beautiful. Uh, we're on the right track. Selfish Desire, I think, is a really good pick in this case. Um, and in the case that you do need to summon something and forego the three points of the Grand Strat, you have that option. But it's it's given, it's yours, starting the leg up with the three extra points. A close second that I could see coming in here would be the Glutton for Depravity, uh, having 36 or more unspent Depravity points. But an opponent can interact with that, deny you all your temptation dice and make it a little bit difficult with the euphoric killers to get to but uh i think it would be the next one to get to as well and again if you are if you're at 36 and need to summon you then have to decide okay do i need the three points in the grand strat or do i just summon immediately but you don't start with it immediately and have to work a little bit to get it but i i, I do like these this uh, selfish desire and the glenn for depravity ones from this list very easy yeah yeah i agree arch tempter could be all right where's that you got a tempter oh, no, unit it's, no no it's, yeah. a, it's the same enemy unit no no that's yeah. bad no 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 yeah it's, no, no, it's the same yeah, yeah the same enemy unit no 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 coveted riches also requires a lot of work uh i, I think yeah. it's uh it's not gonna make it i think we had this one before but uh yeah it's uh it was never taken and the battle tactics, where do we stand? Do you think we got a couple of good ones? Actually, maybe a better question first off mm. is turn one is always a difficult battle tactic to score because we don't have those auto-include ones that we used to have in the last book. Are there ones that stand out to you early game and uh, are there ones that stand out to you more than others? 
Well, I mean, from the GHB, you know, we're normally looking at cunning maneuver and the desecrate is like very good first turn battle mm -hmm. tactics. But from our own list here, I think uh, this is looking beautiful for our options and gives us a lot of opportunities to forego risking those other two core uh, battle tactics when we want to probably save them for the end or later when in the thick of things. Uh, but ultimately, I think the battle tactics here are a home run. It's I want to give it an A in the overall rating on what we have here as an opportunity that some of these tactics our opponent can interact with at all. And the one I'm really looking at is depraved unity here is another competitor for the very first one. You know, we want to take an objective. Most players will probably have at least one demon unit in the contorted epitome that moves 12 um, to move on to an objective with another mortal unit and just score an easy two points. Um, so that's probably the very first one that I find the easiest to immediately include in your planning for a list is like, this is probably the one I can get first turn um, in many cases. Um, the next one I would probably look at as well is this grand feast for the gaining 12 depravity with the euphoric killers um, when planning your list and probably including a fast cavalry unit or even a very fast keeper of secrets. Um, this is something that your opponent may have a hard time denying you because 12 depravity, just outputting 12 damage from a very killy source in our unit or killy unit. Um, it's something that they can't really deny since we can pick that battle. Um, just send those slick blade seekers into a unit of clan rats and we're looking pretty good. Or I thought excessive great. carnage was another one that I like. Look, mm -hmm. if someone puts on like a cheap, like a chaff cheap unit to yeah. tag an objective to get one, two more. If you've got like a, a decent killer unit that you'll do euphoric killers on, you can probably clear those 10, 10 objective scorers, those five idiots that are holding. Uh, obviously it's situational and not everyone's going to have that, but that could be a, a nice little turn one or even turn two, one, two. Absolutely. So the, the combination here of Grand Feast and of Carnage is that it's almost the same tactic. And it really leans into what the army wants to be doing anyways, using Euphoric Killers to gain us depravity. Uh, one of them puts a hard count, of course, in Grand Feast, but then Excessive Carnage, um, if it's a unit that has less than ideal, or less than an amount of, I want to say this, less wounds than what we, we would ideally want to gain some depravity. Like if it's just a leftover unit of a battle line, like two Liberators, um, and there's a better unit that's juicier for you four killers on the other side. Uh, you're kind of foregoing those depravity points to get this battle tactic, which works out. You're getting the two points for the game uh, to overall win the match, but um, now you're potentially losing your four killers as a decent target. So it definitely comes down to the circumstances. You have two different battle tactics that essentially want to do the same thing. Uh, it's definitely a win in our book as giving us those options. But then I also like death by a thousand cuts since we're probably going to bring shooting, put a couple shots into the same unit, and that's a free two points. Um, really, really love that. Um, use this a lot in the last book as well. Um, so I'm glad it carried over. And what I see with Enrapturing Blur, it's essentially another this one's mine. But any unit can do it since you just picked that hero that's taking no wounds. And uh, you just got to take the hero before it gets a chance to activate in the combat mm. phase. So I really like this one as well. Um, if you find the hero out there that tried to be a little aggressive, you know, maybe a, a grace here that teleported up the board or 
uh, a hero that just set an objective, especially on like battle plans like twists and turns, maybe um, that just was holding it by himself. Just run someone up there and uh, take him rapturing blur here. Even uh, depraved unity, when you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Control one, pick an objective you don't control, and as long as you have one friendly mortal and one friendly demon unit contesting, like you could just not deploy on a home objective, then move two people on, boom, you score it. Assuming you've obviously yeah. got at least one mortal and one demon. If you have none, if you don't have one or the other, then you can't do it. But that straight away is just don't uh, don't deploy on your home objective. Turn one, move them on, you score it. You're laughing. Yep. I was uh, I was always struggling in some battle plans to figure out what I can do. So this is absolutely a very good call out and leaves it absolutely open to us to just have a very easy first turn battle tactic and save Desecrator Cunning for later. Yeah, I always try to mm-hmm. save Desecrate to like round f- the five, right? Because mm-hmm. when things are dead or almost dead, I want to have something available up my sleeve as a last resort. I always try to have like something that isn't turn one Desecrate a couple of these are great options depending on if your opponent goes first if you go first what the who moves up and how they move up um, and i guess it kind of shows you that you shouldn't always just be melee having a couple of shooting units are going to be beneficial and this is a perfect segue to let's talk about your two lists um, because you have submitted two lists um, one list is an invaders list uh, it's glutton for depravity as the grand strat you got the Keeper of Secrets, General, Best of the Best, uh, Shining Ages, and the Flaming Weapon. No surprise to see Flaming Weapon on a Keeper mm-hmm. of Secrets. Um, I was wondering if you're going to talk about that because I'm like, we haven't spoken about Flaming Weapon yet. Contorted Epitome with the Icon of Infinite Excess, Lash of Slanesh, and Tunnel Master being a General's Handbook Season 2 uh, ability if you're watching this in the future uh the mask you've got the lord of pain with the arcane tome and lash of slanesh so curious to find out why you've gone two of the same spell down the track you've then got three units of bliss barb archers a unit of bliss barb seekers two units of slick blade seekers and the mesmerizing mirror coming in at 1975 uh wrapped up in a little command entourage in magnificent battle regiment and galatian sharpshooters Mm-hmm. How does this work? What does it do? What's the combinations? Give me a bit of a feel of this particular list. All right. So ultimately, you see the mask in here, and you see how many battalions we're bringing here. So you know we're going pretty high drop with this one. Um, but starting first with your deployment and everything, the the mask being able to perform that deep strike three inches away at the start of the battle before we decide priority. Um, puts some decisions in our opponent's mind as to whether they want to deal with this mass first or give the turn away and you know allow us to do all of our shenanigans with this mass maybe being, being near an important unit. But in Invaders, of course, all of these units will be generals and have very good coverage around the battlefield. Um, you see the artifact here being the icon of Infinite Access. The whole goal of this army is to really create some lanes and set up a good turn to send in a lot of the units, some, be it some of the Slick Blades or this Keeper of Secrets with some extra attacks, having best of the best. But once again, you may see that there are three non-unique heroes in here. Uh, so the Keeper being able to use the Escalating Havoc to, to add an additional command trait uh, in that Hurler Obscenities uh, is going to give it that opportunity to let other non-unique heroes copy it on that roll of a two plus 
So now we have three units that could potentially hand out three minus one saves that these units can then go into and really kind of deal with. I, I lean a little bit into the shooting here. So we have that minus one to save ability with these Bliss Barb Seekers, which I think are going to be an auto-take in a lot of folks' lists. Um, there are some matchups where they might not do anything, such as Nighthaunt, but ultimately versus everyone else, getting some shots in there with these poisoned arrows to do that minus one to save is going to affect them for the rest of the turn and allow these other Bliss Barb Archers to kind of pile on on top. Um, having the Lord of Pain in here and ha having it be a general opens this up to potentially adding in Twin Souls or a unit of Painbringers if you want a different mortal unit. Uh, Hell Striders could also work here, but I like the Archers as a nice way to tear up a screen and then let these units that now have the Hurler, Fast Slick Blades, get into whatever the screens we're trying to protect. Um, so Keeper Secrets are best of the best. We'll get that plus one to attacks if it's near another one of our units or another one of our heroes or an enemy hero. And then if the, the timing is looking good based on the circumstances, pop the Icon of Infinite of Access for an extra attack on all of our units from the Epitome. Um, so Keeper now has six sword attacks, four claw attacks, and we have the Flaming Weapon on here, which giving it to the sword uh, is going to increase damage output on that Keeper uh, very significantly. Um, had a nice little case where I took this list up against some KO. KO moved up the board, did some shooting to me. It was it was very good. I really targeted those archers, but on the popback, the contorted epitome in this case um, managed to make its charge in first and kind of use its ability to shut off commands to protect from only shell send in the Keeper against an Ironclad, and then do significant damage since they both had the Hurler, giving, giving it a minus two to saves, Roaring, all that good stuff. Um, and then Mesmerizing Mirror is in here as like another source of depravity generation that you kind of hinted to at the beginning of our conversation. Um, so yeah, it's a yeah. great fallback. Like I, I, I would probably run the mesmerizing mirror, especially again as people are waking up to not accepting your dice. Mm -hmm. I do want to loop back quickly to the mask because one thing that I really like now is that you can, uh, after deployment but before the first battle round begins, remove the mask from the battlefield and set it up in enemy territory so long as it's outside of three inches. Um, so I guess my question is. Do you because that that's that's a desecrate the land right there. That that one Absolutely. one hero could be scoring turn one desecrate. So I guess just because you can, do you? Um when do you put it into enemy territory and when don't you? Because it has a four-up ward, but it only has five stay a, a five uh wounds. So if it's close to the enemy, they die pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, it sometimes just becomes a threat that your opponent has to deal with and take the first turn and point their shooting units at it. Uh, what I like as a concept is deploying it into cover so it gets that extra bonus. Um, three inches, you know, just gives it a lot of play uh, in these cases. But if you have a good chance, say, for example, your opponent outdrops you and has way more drops in the list that has the mask, uh, well, now you have that option to really drop it into uh, a very good terrain piece that you can just score, desecrate, and save your other easy battle tactics for later. But uh, I really like it as a piece to force decisions onto your opponent, um, potentially giving them first. Um, 
having them deal with the mask. In this case, if your opponent is playing something that has mighty destroyers, you know, just turn that off with this mask. Uh, they're playing right in front of them, giving you a little bit of protection for a turn and letting things just kind of smooth easy. Because with this list, uh, it really is building towards a pretty powerful push for one turn with the Keeper Seekers and the Slick Blades. Um, so you want to create that opening, maybe have your opponent out of position to really get the most use out of that icon uh, and the hurler obscenities because, you know, it, it is a two up. It should often go off, but, you know, dice is dice. It, it may not work. And so now you have to wait <laughs> um, for that other opening to come up. Yeah, no, j j just because um, it's a great trade piece. But I can see people using it too often, and then it just a sacrificial dies in turn one because you didn't think this through properly, and right. you just wasted 140 points, right? So um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's a great way to tag an objective. It could score you desecrate. It could do other things, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's a lot of play, a lot of thought, a lot of decisions we have to make on our own. And, you know, coming to the table with a plan with that battle tactic is it's just going to be good. Um, but I really like it for those destruction matchups and just trying to block something off, you know, turn off that mighty destroyers and just see how that plays out. But always look for cover. She does have a five up save, I believe. Um, yeah, five. Yeah. So you definitely want to keep it in, in a good spot where your opponent may not immediately kill it. I had it survive a couple of heroes that charged into it, and it was pretty cool because on my turn, it healed up and was able to just keep the party going on her side. But so yeah. This... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this list, so uh, we probably talked too much about the mask just for a 140-point <laughs> hero. Uh, that was It was good. Like, I'm glad we talked a little bit about it. Um, but with the Keeper of Secrets, that's your one of your key combat threats. Obviously, Flaming Weapon, great spell to improve the damage output. Mm -hmm. Lots of combinations and things to make that output improved. The Bliss Barb Archers using its special attack to kind of bring down saves, get some, some damage as well, as you've said, around trying to generate some of the Temptation dice. And then your, sl your Slick Blades also do a bit of combat, and your Mirror is also generating Depravity. Um, or is that, is that kind of like how this is all working together and you're leveraging the speed of like the bliss barbs and the seekers to tag objectives, score, pin, do slanishy things? Absolutely. Just really biding time, using the archers to remove screens that could really get in the way. And if the, the main turn for the push has to happen in round two, then let it happen. But this is definitely more focused on really moving up the table and trying to take off a key piece on the opponent's side. Um, now the lash, since you brought it up, um, is just another way to like really have redundancy since if an opponent is trying to be aggressive with you, you know, being high drops, getting units up in your face, you know, it really helps create a little bit of redundancy with that and, um, reducing their attacks, you know, really getting some units in there with the slick blades. Um, the archers really act as screens in this and, you know, might evaporate if they get charged, but now that enemy targets up up close to you you don't really have to travel far anymore with the slick blade to the keeper reduce their attacks and now deal with those threats with reducing their attack output which hopefully by obviously, the time you have the minus one to hit as well yeah and obviously you can't cast it twice at the same time but you've got mm -hmm. redundancy depending on either if your hero is dead or if you have a better option you can choose which one casts it and which one does mystic shield arcane bolt something 
generic on its war scroll. Mm -hmm. And I, I only ask that as well, because you've obviously gone in and spent an, an artifact on the Lord of Pain to get it. So why? And, and um, that's a great example of why. Anything else about this list or you want to move on to your second one? Oh, we can move on to the second one. Oh, let's get yeah. gluttonous. Let's get uh, gluttonous. Yeah. And uh, a lot of similarity here. And I, I will ask you very shortly why it's so similar. Like how come you haven't gone into your demonettes, your fiends, your, your pain bringers? Like there's so many things. Like why is it this is your particular core? But the, the difference here is it's a pretenders list. Take what's there. So we've gone from a grand strategy from General's Handbook. Uh, Contorted Epitomies, the General, Strength of Godhood, the Crown of Dark Secrets, Phantasmagoria. Uh, you've got Glutos. Uh, love that, man. Glutos. Okay. Uh, and then you've got Siggy as well, Sigvolt as well. You've gone in with like 700 points of uh, named character goodness. You've got the Lord of Pain with the Tunnel Master, the Shard Speaker of Slanesh. You've gone three units of Bliss Barb Archers, a unit of Bliss Barb Seekers, and one unit of Slick Blades where the previous one had two. So you've gone much more hero ha hammer here mm -hmm. um, with a lot of your points in your heroes. Absolutely. So, uh, and wrapped up in a magnificent, so commanding entourage with magnificent battle regiment and 100 and, sorry, uh, 1985 is the point. So little bit more points so less likely to get the the uh the choice of who goes first um and less likely to get the triumph here so well actually no no how many, what's in your about how many drops is this one so this one this, this one should be four uh but i'm noticing okay. that i think uh the artifact is missing here but it should be the arcane tome on the shard speaker uh, uh with the um born of damnation spell Okay, it might not have come yeah. through, but anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. So you've got the uh, Arcade Tome and Born of Damnation is yep. the spell. Sweet. Yep, so, so we have our two picks. How does this one work, and how is it different? So this list tries to focus on really creating a stronger center, with Glutus being the main piece uh, to really kind of put out there as a juicy target to come into. His minus one to, uh, to hit Aura, already kind of stacking up with the uh, primary one that we can gain off of the 12 depravity points. Um, but just really kind of creating a, a bait center with all these archers forming a good castle that we can all give Unleash Hell to. So usually as your front kind of hiding behind Gluto's or being near the Gluto's center core uh, would require you to fire with the Bliss Bar Seekers first, uh, get some moons through, uh make the make the target minus one to save and then have the rest of the archers go through so we're usually trying to aim for the strong core center uh with this one the sick blades are going to be the unit that can go out and potentially grab your depravity early without running charge you know hit a good unit hit a flank you know force your opponent to make decisions but uh with the hero hammer aspect here you kind of see the contorted epitome be the general in this case you know have, need to have some protection but has the strength of godhood and uh phantasmagoria spell so it can retreat it once it makes its uh it's hit into an enemy target so nine attacks uh you're gonna have your threes and fours base um and then uh of course ren two if on those nine attacks because of the strength of godhood and then damage two on each so it can really get into something juicy uh i've 
tinkered around with flaming weapon on the contorted epitome as well if you really wanted to get really nasty with it um the, the massive move getting out there now it's you now it's a big piece that can just really slam into an opponent's shooting unit shut off the only shell and do a lot of damage to it i've got a but, burning question before we move on from, off from glutos have you hit uh, have, sorry have you done damage with the Lee's stuff just yet like 12, 12 inch range, one attack, twos and twos, no rend for six damage. Like, I just want to see uh, you attack a hero and you pop that <laughs> minor hero with one attack, but it's such a casino gamble there. I've unfortunately only been able to launch this into some chaff units because, like, obviously it, there's no rend, but that's why the shard speakers here, the bliss bar seekers are here. It's like, oh, now that attack might have some rend uh, by reducing mm-hmm. the, the saves on, on the enemy units. So, like, it's really. Stacking on some additional units that can bring the save stripping sort of item to the list with that short speaker. So I really wanted to build around her utility. Um, the Lord of Pain, um, since contesting an objective on him, gives that plus one to hit, plus one to wound, aura, even shooting, really helps out for those unleashed hells um, that we can really spam a bit in this pretenders list. But that Gluto's uh, shooting attack for twos and two six damage I, I just absolutely love it. I've only been able to launch it into uh, chaff units at the moment, and it's just like, wow, this is a little silly. But well, it's I a love great that. Way to get rid of chaff. Yeah, it's a great way to get rid of it. I mean, like Glutos, eighteen wounds, water five of five up. He heals uh, based off what is it? So there's a the gorge of accessibility lets him heal mm-hmm. up to six wounds. Like it's just an absolute tank. And minus one to hit, obviously, when you get to 12 depravity, you'll then be minus two to hit. Um, well, obviously, I mean, you only go maximum minus one, but you'll stop an all-out attack, boosting it back up. So he's a very great, good centerpiece, especially in a mortal build. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then Lord of Pain, always keeping him on twos and twos on the profiles that matter is just uh, really good. Uh, with this kind of combo, if you have your Lord of Pain you know, buffing your mortals, you really end up uh, leaving behind some command points on the table with a pretenders list, but it saves it for those extra rallies, uh, making those rerolling some charges with Sigvald and really trying to get them in there. But this this type of list really wants to hunker down on center objectives or where the battle is going to be, and then kind of counter counterpunch uh, with Sigvald, a, a beefed up contorted epitome, and and Glutos once the battle really starts going. I noticed you've got this core of like the Bliss Buff Archers and mm-hmm. the, the Seekers. And the, like, if someone didn't want to play around with as much shooting in their army, would you go into like, uh, like I said, the Pain Bringers or the Twin Souls? Would you bring in uh, Demonettes? Would you bring in Fiends? Like, how would you tweak this if you wanted a bit more of a melee focus? And what are you trading if you didn't have as many of these Archers and Slick Blades that you like you currently have? So in a pretenders list to bring in some of those mortal elite troops like your pain bringers and twin souls, we would have to make the Lord of Pain the general since uh, this is not invaders where like they're they're unlocked. Um, so the Lord of Pain could be your general in this one, and you know, he has a better save uh, than a Lord of Hubris, so it would make a good option for trying to hunker and protect as your as your general. Um, I believe the wording would just require there to be a moral oh, oh, general oh. to unlock them. So I think you can make Ludo's your your general, forego the strength of godhood, and have that platform that can issue the commands. So 
Um, what are you referring to? Which one? The... So I'm referring to the Painbringers and the Twin Souls. Uh, Battle Line require... in general is a lot of hubris or a lot of pain. Okay. So then that one that's, that's, that's for the Painbringers. Yeah. Uh, so and you, same you, with you... the Twin Souls. The Twin Souls are the same. Battle Line, Lord of Pain or Lord of Hubris. Yeah. So it would require, you know, playing a little bit more cagey with that Lord of Pain being the general. Uh, issue the command abilities to the smaller base, of course, but um, then you could bring in uh, a unit of five twin souls, which I personally think are better as a unit of five. Not don't really need to reinforce them, but um, unless you're bringing an additional battalion like the Galatian, Galatian veterans, uh, since they unfortunately lost an inch of reach and an attack. But uh, pain bringers, I think personally, are a little expensive at the moment. Um, yeah. Their comparison is often going to Chaos Warriors, which are 220, um, have a Mortar Wound uh, Shrug, and you know, decent buffs on their War Scroll, and I believe two attacks, which can get more. But Painbringers at 145, or for a reinforced unit, 290, becomes a bit of a challenge um, to really fit into your list. And I think they're really solid on, on that two up save if you can meet those conditions. But uh, it's just a bit hard to set up. You know, it is conditional, of course. Um, and then just then requires your Lord of Pain to be the general, um, which, you know, in a pretenders list, you may want your epitome or the Keeper of Secrets to be your general. Maybe Glutos, if that's what your list is all around. Yeah. And, and folks, mm -hmm. if you haven't noticed this by now, this is just one example. There's plenty of ways to build a Slanesh list. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that um, the way Edgar's built his list, it's an auto include that you've always got to have those blitz barbs. And, but I think it's like from your play style and the way you build around and the synergies, I really like what you've done there. Um, you know, like if you wanted to bring in some hell striders, you probably could, and that would theme up with the cavalry, but you'd obviously lose a few things. And, you know, there's some changes with like the charge on the hell striders with the claw spears. And there's some interesting changes in there. I guess it depends on how do you win. And I think you've just evidently told us a few times you like a strong core and the the rest of the army kind of works with that strong core. Yeah, and the archers kind of also help with a little bit of that opportunity to offer the temptation dice since now you have that extra spreading the love with these arrows and having your opponent really make the decision of whether or not they want the DT mortals or to give you some some ramped up depravity. Yeah, that, 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 that's really key, and I, mm -hmm. I like that because how do you offer some of the depravity in turn one? We talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, even just having some shooting is a great way to just bring that in a lot earlier than you normally would. Um, is there any endless spells? that I, I know you've only got, like, Mesmerizing Mirror in one of them. Are there other endless spells, even, like, the universal ones that might work for a Slanesh, uh, whether it's, you know, we talked earlier about gnashing jaws and the reducing of movement. Any other things that you think kind of synergize quite nicely with you? Where well, Glutos and the Slothful Super Spell really are going to enjoy those gnashing jaws. Um, uh, the Purple Sun, with all of our abilities to reduce saves um, uh, being cast by an Epitome, uh, is also a pretty good pick. Um, those archers, if you have Bliss Barb Seekers, are now potentially Ren 3 if that sun is placed in a good spot. Um, but our casting, unfortunately, is pretty mediocre. And in the middle, just the epitome is the one that re-rolls. Glutose has to wait. Um, otherwise, we have to be pretty honest. And you're kind of bringing an endless spell that your opponent could potentially easily deny you. But uh, I do like the Dreadful Visage from Slanesh. Um, that strike last and doing some additional mortal wounds as well. Um, just really lets 
us spread out our uh, attackers and our fast cavalry and pick a target and then comfortably be able to hit the second target if we need to. And it's got a pretty decent range. Uh, cast within 12, uh, moves 8, and then affects something within 6. Yeah, um, yeah. I yeah. remember it being quite generous. I'm like, oh, not too bad. Oh, yeah. Not bad so, at all. Not- I really like that option. Um, our, our army is pointed a, a little bit high in my opinion and if we ever see some drops could probably fit some more i think we have room for one endless spell uh most of the time in our in our book yeah i i do agree with you that there are some things where it's just like it's a little bit like you could shave like 10 or 20 20 points off certain things and mm-hmm. collectively you'd have a little bit more it's not aggressively overpointed but there are some things right when i looked at glutos i'm like are you still 480 like yeah you couldn't be at the 420 that you used to like maybe 460 but where we're splitting hairs at this point, but um, it's good to see you weren't overly kind of pointed. Just bring down a little. Yeah, we could see some shavings in the future. Maybe uh, some battle sc- uh, battle scrolls. I think coming up. Probably this not year, the battle maybe scroll. Drop, maybe maybe, maybe yeah. the next general's yeah. handbook in June, July. Maybe yeah. this battle scroll. Let's not, let's not paint too much optimism for our slash people. Oh, I'm not talking about this one, just in the future. Like, if we get some drops yeah. there, I would, I would like to see a little bit of yeah. shaving at some point. I've got a couple of final questions and we'll bring it home. All right. Oh, I, know, yeah. I know it's getting a little bit late. I appreciate this talk, two and a half hours. It's been really good. And we haven't even gotten into the weeds of the War Scrolls. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think we need to. I think it comes down to what's the theme of your army? How do you want to win? What are you building around? Are you summoning? Are you trying to get the most and get mortal wounds? Are you trying to, like, how do you want to build your list? And I love that you've got so many great options. You talked about bringing in certain things from, um, from Saves the Darkness and from Beasts of Chaos. There's a lot of great things um, that you can tap into that works for you. But how do you win with Slanesh? Given how tricksy it is, how fragile it can be, how movement is such a critical piece to your game, how do do you win? All right. So what I have noticed a lot in some of the games is the army really wins by neutralizing or debuffing the opponent's main units and main core uh, to really buy time for our depravity to kick in, to remove those key pieces and be very surgical. Um, Really just gain momentum throughout the entire battle and just really take the opponent's units out of the battle uh, where your opponent really can't interact with you and i see a lot of the term non-playable interaction really come up and um it just becomes very interesting to see the army play out being that glass cannon being very um i want to say very sensitive to damage but being able to surgically insert itself and just impose its will on the on the opponent uh some armies can definitely counter it pretty efficiently with uh shooting in magic but you know we who, play who, we can play who, around this who are the threats who are the thing that the armies that you've got to consider how you defeat who are a key threat to you mm-hmm. all right really got to consider luminef you know their their cast is really really strong you know gets overall can replace itself and as you remove their units you know they just they just come back they never go away um and then of course you've got um Beast of Chaos, which won't be on the field when you start. So you, you kind of really have to pick your and choose and let them kind of come to you in this point since you don't know where they're going to drop off. Um, and then I 
I like to see some Skaven builds are, are pretty effective with their casting and, and their ability to really hunker down, but provide us some really good targets for depravity. Um, but a lot of these armies that are currently doing really well at the top, uh, I've seen KO builds also that we could struggle against. Uh, those frigates loaded with chainsaw boys, uh, they're ready to come out. Um, but any army that can really get into our face early, uh, remove a lot of the pieces that we need to, especially in pretenders, um, really hunker down the whole plan, uh, our keepers that we're building up and like really and paying 400 points for, um, if they're not able to really earn their points back uh, in, in good timing, you know, we can really suffer a lot. And in pretenders, so you just like, got to be mindful. Go ahead. So like Iron Jaws, Sons, uh, even like some of the Corn Demon builds who are who can be quite aggressive. Those are types of things you got to watch out for. Uh, yes, anything that can really put a lot of damage forward. Um, if our, we're losing too many units in our army too early, you know, it, it's just going back to drawing board and saying, how can I screen a little bit better? Uh, how can I keep myself, my main pieces better protected? Just because this army really depends on that. Um, since our summoning is, oh, we don't need to rely on our summoning as much as we did in the past. Um, we cannot replace our, our pieces anymore and can actually play with what's on the board. But um, that Revel in Depravity's table, we really want to ramp that up a little bit. So with our debuffs, you know, let's let our opponents kind of hit us with wet noodles, and I think we're okay. <laughs> it's a very techie army. It's not an Iron Jaws, go up to your opponent, smash him in the no. face. It's not leveraging what used to be, just move forward, strike first, crush them before they can strike back. It's a lot more nuance, a lot more technical. Um, that's going to kind of work with certain play styles, but... Edgar, before we kind of bring this home, is there anything that you want to add to the Slanesh discussion before I ask you a couple of final things? I'm just really excited to to see where our book continues to go. Um, I was before already leaning into some control aspects and trying to use the Johnny Tech and the overlaying debuffs and buffs to our own units. So I'm very happy to see that the book took this direction overall and just plays harder into that. Um, ultimately, the sub-factions go very deep. We have so much play and with the war scrolls out there that we have in our book, we're now able to bring them over in the past. Sigvald carried this book on his back very hard. And, you know, he was in every list almost Um, all the war scrolls coming up to his level now uh, doesn't make him an auto include anymore, in my opinion. But that just goes to show how good the book has come and the strides it's made. And I think we've paid for our sins. And so Sigvald. Thank you for your service. Let's play with some more War Scrolls as well. Um, would be one of my comments as well. <laughs> That's all right. Sigvald's yeah. coming to me with my Slanish yeah. Slaves, the Darkness Army. Yeah. Like, yep. Oh, I yeah. All right. If you could add one War Scroll or one thing to the book in the next iteration, or maybe a campaign book. Uh, by the way, love Senessa and Dexessa. That mm-hmm. addition to the it's so good. I love those two models. What would you add to Slanish if you could? So I think we need our mounted hero back. Um, so what I'm looking at here um, is the kind of build that I put together was like a Lord of Avarice um, on Exalted Seeker. And I was trying something to play with our mounted cavalry a little bit. Um, looking to have this hero have like a glaive, you know, a, a range two of six attacks, uh, threes and threes, two damage. Um, 14 inch moves, six bravery, five up save, you know, make him a little, a little bit, um, you know, delicate, but 
put him around six wounds, 160 points, but have a bit of a, a bodyguard ability where he can fight and let his slick blade guard or anyone near him fight as well. Um, and potentially maybe add some attack to his glaive as well. It's like a potential unit that could just be a hero that can run up the board, not be the full 200 points or anything, but just be something that can go out and grab some depravity three, four killers as well. Would be too spicy if it was maybe a bit of a a play into, I want to say it, the Lord Draconis from Stormcast, but maybe letting a unit of Bliss Barb Seekers fire an extra time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so just someone that really motivates our cavalry to go out there and just let this be our Lord of Avarice on Exalted Seeker. Or I like it. if it's on a regular Seeker, let, let it happen. I would just like to see us have a Mounted Lord. I'd love some more varieties on Keepers of Secrets. Like you look at Corn, you've got three different versions plus Scarbrand. Mm-hmm. I'd love some more varieties of, and whether they're named Keepers of Secrets or other options to build it. I don't know. For me, I love the Keeper of Secrets. It's an army. It's, it's that, and that's why I mentioned like I love Senesso and Dexessa, and I love those types of models. So if I had, I don't know, I kind of like in Fantasy Battles, there was a, a named Keeper of Secrets, starts with N, like Nikari, Nik- Nikari, I can't remember what it's called. Okay. I don't know. For me, I'd love to see more named Keepers of Secrets and do a better job than Select. Uh, Select, no, Shalaxi, yeah. Hellbane, that's it. Yeah, I got mine right here, just kind of chilling around, you know. She's all right. I like her. Working, but yeah, I think her war score definitely got improved. I just don't think the improvements were... Enough, and then the points. Yeah, they made her more expensive than a normal keeper. Okay, make her <laughs> scar brand, but for slanish. Make her a scar brand equivalent, and I'm a buyer. Okay, yeah. Maybe you not know, like scar brand, but like just, just like so powerful and so great at the moment. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're you're okay. Yeah, it tries to be defensive and offensive at the same time. No, you can't do it. And he's scar brand, I think, is even less points in Chillaxi at the moment. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Probably, yeah. probably, probably, probably. It's, it's mm-hmm. anyway, anyone you want to shout out, anyone you want to like, if people want to find you, where, where are people, you, are you on discord? You're on Twitter. Like where can people chat to you yep. if they want to talk about slanesh list tech? Absolutely love helping anyone in your discord as well. And I've been having some fantastic conversations in that heat nights of slash channel. Folks are bringing some fantastic ideas. Um, I'll sometimes linger around the bottom tail bullies Twitter, but most of the time you will find me at events and got a full slate looking forward to this, uh, this upcoming season. Got Atlantic city open coming up summer slaughter, Nova, um, some other GTs that are coming up in November just for like charity events. Um, so you'll always catch me out at those events and I'm looking forward to continue to bring Slanesh to events and see how we do. And, uh, something spicy got to play a, a Sunesh mirror match. So, I mean, if we look at those in the four in the future, you know, it's the gameplay in the Sunesh versus Sunesh game is, is just very interesting. So I had an event. I'm kind of looking forward to doing it again, but um, <laughs> it's just very interesting. And then uh, I'm going to give a shout out to a war scroll first. Going to give a shout out to Slangor, which I hope more people try out. Cause uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just so good. Uh, I think they're fantastic. But it's funny you say that because when I when I did my Beast of Chaos review and then I yeah. did it again here, I'm like, did Slangor get a glow up? And like I wanted to say yes. And I did. I put I put myself oh, out. Okay. I said, look, I think Slangor are the best they've ever done. They've had a glow up. And I'm like, 
I'm pretty strong and to get blown back and people are going to go, they're still rubbish. And I'm surprised that we've got some converts. I'm glad when I, people, are, I, I like them. I like one, they're a cool model, but two, they've actually now got some play. And if it's ever going to be a time that slang or do well, it has to be now. Like this is their birthday. It's their time. Yep. Yep. It is. Their, absolutely. Um, today had some, had some extra matches and there was four, total Slanesh players in our group, you know, and we're like, hey, let's just mount up a massive battle here. Some, had some conference to the army, saw Slangor firsthand. They're like, oh, we got to go out and get some. But yeah, ultimately looking forward to see what our, our gaming club does, you know, and again, over here on the East Coast, we have a, a fantastic club scene. Um, so shout out to the Bomb Tio Bullies. Uh, shout out to Matt Obringer, my battle buddy that we travel to events at. So you always catch us um at these giant gts so looking forward to it and to meeting more folks from the community um now that you know slanesh and corn are up there and can really do some good stuff but in particular we don't have to jump through all these hoops like i mentioned earlier and potentially still suffer we can actually put a game together and offer our opponent treats and temptation dice <laughs> i tell you what i saw recently actually it was kind of a little combination of conversation i was having on twitter um the rare times that i jump on twitter these days but we're like the temptation dice should be like sex dice like you know you can buy those little role play sex dice like have six dice like the zinch have separate dice and they can offer the random dice i mean i like your candy better but mm -hmm. it's a, a very if you want to be on that side of like temptation go maybe i should go get an affiliate link from some sex dice manufacturer maybe baron of dice will start making slanish temptation dice i don't know but um you can have fun with it. I think that's the key. Like mm -hmm. I would love to be a fly on the wall and watch people have that interactive experience around temptation dice. Like, can I tempt you? Like, what if you take this? And like, you could be like really weird, like, it's not weird, but like seductive, but also like have a lot of fun with it um, in a, in a safe way. Like don't be a creep, but yeah, I think it's cool. It's fun. It's, it's my type of thing. I don't know if you've heard of Hershey's chocolates, uh, but yeah. And, yeah, Hershey Park is about 20 minutes from me. So I've got the factory right here. And so Hershey Kisses or Hershey yeah. Pieces is like what I have available to me to really offer to my opponent, maybe like in the first round, because I think 30 pieces of chocolate in a, in a game might be a little much. But I mean, if they're into it, sure. <laughs> it is. It's, it's excess. It is yeah, excess. Little... Like, like have a little dice. It's like a six and a little chocolate. You're like. Can I tempt you? Can I yeah. give you the six? Yeah. And like, just keep, and like, maybe, maybe like if they deny you the first time, you then offer them two chocolates. You're like, how about now? Oh, a lot like, of my games. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> the thing I love about this. But Edgar, yeah, okay. thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed this discussion and I love, I can't wait to see the evolution of Slanesh. You have paid for your sins. Uh, it's good. I mean, mm -hmm. look, there's some things that, you know, yes, put it back in the oven. It's not quite done yet. Yes, there are some things that you're probably paying a little bit over-costed at the moment, but these kind of things will get fixed up in time. Yes, some people probably don't like the, the temptation dice, but I love it, and I think it's thematical. It's going to be fun, and I, love, I can't wait to see how people use it throughout the game. I think it's going to be a learning experience. It's not going to be as easy as you think. And over time, how do you generate that depravity? When the cast, when your people, your opponents get smarter, oh yeah, that's what that's what I'm curious about. Yep, folks are going to catch on, and uh, the temptations 
we'll get a little difficult, but we got to pull through and use the resources available to have our opponents see Slanesh. And you know, eventually when Slanesh breaks out of their prison, maybe that temptations get a little bit stronger again. But yeah, really looking forward to it. And I love the the ability to have um, where the book is bringing us and the future we have with it for the next couple of seasons. Yeah. On that note, everyone, let me know in the comments if you uh, how you what you think about it. Uh, think about how did we go? Not how we go. I don't want your feedback on our performance, but I want to know from you in the comments what your thoughts are around the army. Um, are you a big fan of certain combinations? Are there things that maybe we didn't touch upon that you think are worth considering? Um, uh, maybe we putting too much weight on those bliss barb arches, and you found that they haven't worked for you. Let me know in the comments section. We'd be curious to hear from you how we go with Slanesh and we all kind of learn together as a little community. But thank you so much, Edgar. Thank you for everyone who watched this or listened to it on a replay. And uh, I will see you all again on next on the next this live stream or video. Thank you very much, coach. Catch you around. Cheers all. Bye. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. Now, if you did, I would love it if you press like on the video as well as left me a comment with your thoughts. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the episode description. I also want to give a massive shout out to the AOS Coach patrons and YouTube members who are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you are all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a double one on a spell cast.